The CFB Winning Edge podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. In addition to our weekly projections made available to all patrons early each week and our FBS team profiles available to our Tier 2 subscribers, Patreon supporters also help keep the show ad-free and help fund updates and future projects. For as little as $5 per month, you can help support this show and contribute to the continued improvement of CFB Winning Edge. Thank you to our Patreon supporters and visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge to learn more or to join. Welcome back, everybody. It's College Football Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter, at Bogman Sports. Joined always, as always, by Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge. Follow him on the Twitter, at CFB Winning Edge. Xavier Trish, at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. The year continues to be strange, Nick. Um, Matt Wells got fired this week, uh, so there's uh, some interesting news. Uh, it seems like maybe nobody deserves the Heisman Trophy. Uh, there's a lot going on in college football. So where do we want to start first this week? Well, I mean, as usual, just uh, the games. And last week was one where there weren't very many premier matchups. I don't think there was a single ranked versus ranked uh, game last week. There were a lot of teams off. Um, and just, you know, as can happen sometimes where it looks like a little bit of a sleepy Saturday, heard a lot of discussion on Twitter about, uh, oh yeah, you know, maybe this is the Saturday to, uh, go spend at the pumpkin patch in the morning, that type of thing. And so expectations were pretty low for the games themselves, but in those cases, a lot of times we get some weird things happening and there were certainly, uh, some weird games last week started almost immediately with the Penn State-Illinois game, nine overtimes, 20-18, to uh, sloppy game in a lot of ways, a game that Penn State was a huge favorite. We had projected to cover a pretty big spread. And, you know, just one of those weird things that happen when your offense is not working really well. You got a a quarterback who's banged up uh, trying to, you know, gut it out, but – couldn't get it done. Penn State, they end up losing another top 10 team, Oklahoma State, as a favorite, uh, but lost on the road, uh, or excuse me, as they were an underdog on the road at, at Iowa State, uh, but another top 10 team goes down. NC State, a team we talked about last week where our model showed one of the biggest edges was NC State over Miami. They go ahead and lose outright. Uh, and then, you know, Purdue, one week in the top 25 after a big upset, uh, they go down. They're also close calls. Cincinnati, we talked, uh, you know, very briefly last week that Navy plays a style of football that can uh, keep things closer than you would expect. And that certainly happened uh, for Cincinnati uh, against Navy last week. Some postgame win expectancy numbers actually had Navy on the right side of that game. So Cincinnati was fairly uh, fortunate to get out with a win. Oklahoma struggled for a lot of the day as a 38 plus point uh, underdog against Kansas. Um, they were able to, you know, survive. The three of us have a, a group chat I put in there because, you know, we all know that uh, Oklahoma is a team that I'm invested in in a national title future. 
Uh, I just, you know, just win the game, Oklahoma. That's all I wanted. <laughs> and they did. And they still have a zero on the, you know, in the loss column. There aren't that many teams with, with that. So if they keep that zero, they're going to, you know, be in a position, I think, to uh, make it to the playoffs. So they were able to survive in a really, really ugly fashion. And then Oregon, second week in a row where, you know, things came down to the wire, had to come up with a big stop with the opponent driving with a chance to win the game. And, and they were able to survive similarly. So they, you know, still have one loss, an overtime loss to Stanford, but have arguably the most impressive win uh, that any team's got on its resume this year, the win over uh, Ohio State, especially the most, uh, or I should say specifically the most maybe impactful resume win because Texas A&M, you could argue over Alabama, but Texas A&M, you know, isn't really in the conversation right now, but uh, Oregon still in the mix, you know, still what seventh in the AP poll. So if they went out, win the PAC 12, they absolutely, it seems like have everything in front of them as well. So, uh, you know, survive in advance is something a lot of people say it's probably a cliche, but uh, for teams like Cincinnati, Oklahoma, and Oregon, I think it certainly fit. And a lot of teams are probably going to have to uh, survive and, and advance when we're looking at conference championship and, and playoff, uh, you know, chances here in, in the stretch run as we, uh, get ready to turn our attention to November. I think Xavier that this year, the thing is you can count on Georgia blowing out whoever they play and that's it. Oh, we'll like, get that, to that. I, I'm not so sure, uh, it, <laughs> but so, so far, so far, yeah, so far, that's all you can, that's all you can count on from a week to week basis. It seems because the good teams are playing close games and then dropping some. It, it's just, you know, uh, we thought COVID year, the 2020, was going to be the hardest year to pick games because guys are out for protocol, they're out for this, they're out for that. This year seems to be worse, Xavier. How do you how do you explain this, or how do you describe this year, I guess? I mean, I think Nick describes it perfectly, survive in advance. You know, this is it's rough out here. It is every week. Every week you feel like a team could just go down and you have no like real reason to do so or like any like, oh, well, you know, coming to the game, they had this problem or, you know, we saw this coming. I've had so many weeks where I'm just sitting there with my with my jaw on the floor like, what in the hell is going on? Like last week, obviously, with the nine overtimes, I'm just sitting there like. Hello? How do you not score? I like it's you're, you're you have to get, get in from your five out. or threes. Excuse me, thank you. And I'm just like, okay, just run, run it. it. Up the gut. I mean, they, they pull out a Philly special. I'm just uh, like, it's uh, it's nuts, man. It is a I'm, weird, strange year. It is, it, it, and I can't wrap my head around it. You know, I was looking at a graphic this morning and it was talking about all of the undefeated teams left in each conference. And I think I counted nine. And I was like, I don't know if this late, if this early into the season, we've only had nine un, uh, nine undefeated teams. I would love to know, if, you know, if a listener or if one of you guys could pull the number for me of how many, how, the earliest time we had this little of undefeated teams. And that's going to even shrink this week because we've got a couple of undefeated teams playing each other this week. So even then, you know, we, we by what weeks week week nine, we're gonna have six or seven, you know, undefeated teams in the country, and they're not gonna be the top seven teams in the country either, which is so funny to me. Like you've got teams like SMU who are down there a little bit and things like that. You just can't put your finger 
on the pulse of college football this year, it's like every week I'm waiting for another drastic, you know, game. And it's funny. I think our group chat kind of defines it perfectly. When we were talking about games this week, I think I gave seven and then Nick gave six. And we were like, all of these games are really good. All yeah, of these they're games all have- this week. This week's particularly yeah. hard. I mean, there are at least two handfuls of just straight coin flip games, you know, and the odds makers are showing that. I mean, Penn St- or uh, uh, Ole Miss and Auburn is two and a half. You know, who do you like in that game? That might be the hardest game to pick this week. So I was like, yeah. well, I got to have Nick explain this one to me because I'm going to have to talk about it on a show in three hours. So I better get some insight from Nick here. So, I mean, I got in my head who I think is going to win. What do I, what do I know, Scott? I, I, don't I know. mean, what do I as know? As we will discuss, what, right. what do I know? I don't well, let's know just head there. Let's just head there right now, Nick. Let's, uh, let's talk about the record for this week because, uh, you know, it was a rough one. Yeah, it, it was. Uh, from a numbers perspective, it was very bad. Week eight uh, of the 2021 season might have been our worst ever. I haven't had time to go back and look week by week. I actually need to, during the offseason, I'll need to go back. What a miserable thing week. to want to look up. It would. Too. That, it that's would, that's a tough thing to go but look But so. I would be surprised if 18-34-1, uh, and one, that's a 34.6% uh winning percentage against the spread if that weren't our worst week of all time i would i would probably uh i would be very surprised uh we had a decent showing on totals uh after you know the the totals have have, uh, kept us semi afloat at at times this year uh 52.9 on total so we were 43.7 percent overall but our you know what are supposed to be our best projections uh, we're our worst, <laughs> 0 on wrong teams favored. Uh, we're still 57.6% against the spread. That's our one maybe uh, shining spot this season. Uh, but the all three agree, as, as we you know have talked about in, in weeks past, continue to really, really struggle. 2-10-1 and one on those uh, this year. That brings our overall numbers to uh, our team strength model, our official uh, model, uh, is 201, 214, and 6 against the spread this year. That's 48.4%. Uh, I've been looking at the prediction tracker. I mentioned it a few times on here. Uh, that would rank 30th among the 54 models in the pre- uh, prediction tracker, so certainly not good enough there. Uh, totals, we're at 51% for the year, uh, and all three agree now is a just embarrassing 42%. So, uh, you know, thought we were on to something. In 2020, as you mentioned, last year was kind of a weird year. Maybe we just got a little bit lucky. Maybe there was just something uh, that looked like it was there that wasn't. And unfortunately, uh, this year, you know, setting those aside and and kind of penciling them in as what are supposed to be our better uh, projections have have absolutely not. Uh, But so as is often the case, you know, coming off a, a little bit of a rough week, I tried to dive into the numbers, see what one, how we stack up against others. I mentioned where we would rank on the prediction tracker. I know there's some other folks out there who track uh, some other quality projection systems, other really smart people who are doing uh, you know, good work on college football projections and, and things like that. And maybe it's just to try to make myself feel a little better, but uh, it turns out we're not maybe quite as bad as, as it felt when I had to put that number in officially and, and uh, you know, punch uh, publish on Patreon at, at the uh, 
ATS right up each week uh, in the in the wee hours uh, Sunday morning. But uh, you know, in the prediction tracker, there are 54 models listed. Only 16 of those have a record above 500, which is surprising. Most years, a lot of these models are 51%, 52%. There's usually several in the you know 53, 54, and we were 54% last year and felt really uh, felt really good about it. It had been our best performance. We'd made improvement um, each of the first three years we'd done this. Expected a similar number this year and and have uh, really been you know not we're we're not on pace to get there at this point. Still time to turn it around, but uh, if if I'm looking for a little bit of a silver lining. Our absolute error, our mean absolute error, is 13.049, which is actually better than all but one of those models in the prediction tracker that has a winning record. Um, the line-adjusted model is the only one right now that's better. And our absolute error is actually the fifth best among those 54 mentioned. Um, I, there's uh, uh, someone on Twitter, Andrew Percival, pays a lot of attention to college football and analytics and uh, has been researching a lot of these uh, projection systems, was going through his sort of wrap up of, of week eight. And because, uh, you know, SP plus is kind of the gold standard of this sort of thing. They're not listed on the uh, prediction tracker. Bill Connolly will often cite it and say like, oh yeah, we'd finish or, or we'd, you know, be at this spot. Uh, but for whatever reason, they're just not logged there. Andrew Percival has been uh, logging SPs Plus as well as some others, and a lot of people's numbers are, are down. SP Plus uh, actually has a, an absolute error of 13.12. So even though they have a better record against the spread, they're one of only two uh, that uh, were listed as being above 50%. Um, but, you know, we still have a, a slightly better absolute error. So how our projections compare to what actually happened on the field. Um, there are a couple others better that, that again, Percival uh, pointed out. Uh, Parker Fleming, who I've mentioned on this pod several times, Stats of War on Twitter does a lot of great. You've probably seen his analytical previews, uh, the, the, you know, all the, the graphics that he's been posting weekly. Um, a lot of great work, and, and he's got some good numbers this year uh, as well so far in, in the games that he's posted his absolute error has been been the best that's been tracked. Uh, and another person on, on Twitter, Buckeye Nuts 247 uh, seems to be a little bit better uh, is that as well. But, you know, we're in the mix with a lot of um, people who are, have a long track record of success uh, and better than some others that, that are listed. So, you know, I, I try not to beat myself up too much as I'm going through some struggles uh, it, you know, it's been stressful tracking these, grading these, publishing them, uh, not just publicly, but to people who are, um, you know, supporting us on Patreon. I want to put up good projections for those folks, because even though I've said many, many times, hey, this isn't gambling advice or anything like that, but I'm sure there are some, you know, people who've uh, given us support who want to, uh, you know, apply it to that sort of thing. And, and so I want to win for those folks, especially if I look at, you know, hey, these all three agrees were whatever they were last year, 57%. Uh, so, hey, that's a pretty good sign. And then coming into this year, and it's the complete opposite, even worse. Um, you know, I, I, I feel bad about that. So I want to 
try to one i'm i'm motivated to to fix the problem if there is a problem if it's not just a bad year um you know what can we do to make them better learn some lessons developing a plan for improvements already have you know a list of things i want to research and do and, and try to implement so i'm still positive about the future still you know hopeful that things will turn it around but yeah i know the projections have been bad this year uh Somewhat fortunately, they're not maybe as bad as I thought they might be compared to some other folks out there. But still, you know, I've got higher expectations for myself. And I know our listeners, our supporters have high expectations, too. So, uh, you know, trying to, to uh, not sugarcoat anything, not look for uh, excuses, uh, kind of address what issues there might be, make some improvements along the way, and then really, you know, dig deep and, and look hard at what we can do to improve uh, in 2022. But hopefully, you know, we've, we still do have, uh, you know, a little over a month of the regular season, plus bowl games have been decent for us in the past. So still time to, to turn it around and, and put up a decent number by the end of the year. But it's been, uh, you know, last week, maybe more so than any, uh, been a little bit of a struggle so far this year. Yeah. And, uh, but at least this week gets real easy with uh, a lot of these lines being super, super tight here. So yeah, uh, talk about that too. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So let's, let's dive in here, Nick. Uh, Let's just talk about what week nine lines have you the most confused. And uh, there are a bunch of tricky ones this week, it seems. Yeah, they seem somewhat concentrated a little lower chronologically for me. When I, when I was looking through this question, I was going kind of line by line of our projections in the first 20, 30 seem, you know, okay, that, that seems about right. But there were four kind of toward the, you know, afternoon games into the evening that, that kind of jumped out. Kansas state is a three point favorite against TCU, uh, Kentucky as a one point favorite at Mississippi state, Oklahoma state 30.5 point favorite against Kansas and Utah, six and a half point favorite against UCLA. And these are all are from when we published officially on uh, Tuesday afternoon. I was a little surprised Kansas State, not that they were favored against TCU because TCU's defense has been really, really bad. K-State has made some improvements. Their record is maybe slightly misleading because they played, I would say, the best three uh, or three of the four best uh, Big 12 teams to open Big 12 play. Um, but that was just a, a little bit of a surprise. I think it started at, at Kansas State favored by one and has moved to three, uh, and we're still a little on the side of K-State there. Our projection is 3.61. That surprised me a little. I thought that would be more of a toss-up. Um, Kentucky, actually, when Circa uh, posted its first line on Sunday, had Mississippi State favored. That was a little bit of a surprise against Kentucky, uh, even on the road. But we have Kentucky as closer to a four-point favorite. But I'm I'm slightly nervous because some of those weird, uh, you know, seemingly weird lines that Circa posts on Sundays. Uh, last week, Miami being a favorite against NC State, one of them we talked about briefly. You know, they've they've had some of those. They had App State favored over Coastal Carolina when it opened, and then the market shifted later. Uh, that day and, and into the week. So, you know, they've had a pretty good read on some of these games, 
and Mississippi State favored in that one. We have Kentucky, like I said, 3.72. Uh, and, you know, I don't feel great about it. So that one, that one's a little bit weird. Oklahoma State was a top 10 team, suffered its first loss, close game, had an opportunity to win, a little bit of a, you know, controversial call toward the end, potentially. Uh, but even though Kansas probably overachieved last week against Oklahoma, 30 points is a lot for a team like Oklahoma State. 30 and a half. Our numbers think they will cover. We have it at 31.3. I do not feel great about it. You know, hopefully it works out. Obviously, we will take every win we can get. So I would love if Oklahoma State uh, blows them out. But that just seems like too many points for Oklahoma State against anybody right now. Nick's Uh, over here like if Oklahoma can't do it, there's no way Oklahoma State can do it, right? Well, I just don't know if I – I mean, would you have Oklahoma State – would you personally have Oklahoma State as a 30-point favorite or 31-point favorite against any FBS team? I'm struggling to think of – I mean, UMass, yeah, I guess, uh, or UConn maybe, but there are very few. Kansas, I guess, is in that group, but I think Kansas has shown some improvement. they uh, just the, the way that Kansas has lost some of these games, obviously, uh, you know, they played Oklahoma tough, but they lost by 27 to Texas Tech. They lost by 52 to Iowa State, you know, so I don't think it's necessarily having faith in Oklahoma State. It's just having faith that Kansas is going to be bad. But look, this Oklahoma game might be their turning point for this program. So, you know. We've looked at this many times. They beat Texas a couple of years back, and we, you know, we think, okay, maybe this is the turning point for Kansas, and it never is. So it's like you have this, you know, a relative win against Oklahoma, and now you're going to go get smoked by Oklahoma State. It's kind of the Kansas cycle that we've seen. So definitely, well, personally, I hope school. I hope that happens. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I will take I will take a thirty five to three win, uh, no problem. <laughs> and then one that just looks a little weird on paper. I feel like our projections have been kind of on the wrong side of some little you know kind of strange looking Utah lines in in recent weeks. They're a six and a half point favorite against UCLA. I know, I know UCLA coming off a loss, uh, injuries at quarterback. Dorian Thompson Robinson hasn't practiced very much this week. Um, and, and so I know that's part of it, uh, but six and a half, I mean, yeah, I can understand Utah being favored in this game, but almost a touchdown that, that seems like a lot. And our numbers actually have it at less than a field goal. So, um, I, I just, you know, these four, they, they just strike me a little, little weird, have me a little confused. And, and I don't love necessarily, uh, what side we fall on in the projections in, in this group. Uh, Xavier, do you have any lines that you look out for this week and go, what are they thinking? Uh, you know, it's hard to knock Vegas when they're raking in the money here. But, um, you know, uh, what? which lines do you look at and go, no way in hell? Uh, Wisconsin over Iowa as a three-point favorite. That was the first one to me that went, eh. I'm not too favorable with that one. I think they picked the point total perfectly with 36 points. I think it will be that low score. I know, dude. That's Um, how can you trust either one of those teams to score against each other? Exactly. Um, I don't know if Nick mentioned this one, but Houston as a one and a half point favorite over SMU was a little bit surprising. They're favored now. They were a pick them when they. Well, some of them still have pick them. Some still some have um, like some people have pick them. Some people don't. Um, they start off as a four-point favorite, which for me, I am just—I was just kind of baffled by that one as, as a whole. Um, 
And then Auburn being a, a, a one-point favorite over Mississippi. Uh, for me, I, I think that that game, and we'll get into it. I don't, I don't know if that, if I, if I trust Auburn just yet. Uh, yes, I understand that they've played a lot. They've had an uptick over the last couple of weeks. Um, but I am not. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just not sold by what Auburn is going to give me versus what I'm sold what Ole Miss is going to give me week in and week out. I, honestly, you pick some of the games where I'm like, I have no idea who's going to win this. <laughs> Iowa, Wisconsin. I mean, that's going to come down to who makes the mistake, Most, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. who makes the mistake, who fumbles, who throws a pick, whatever it is. So exactly. Uh, I feel like that one. Uh, and then the Auburn or Ole Miss game was the one I was talking about before with Nick. I'm like, I'm sitting here looking at this game. I have to pick because it's on national TV this week. And I go, I don't know what to do. Uh, like my, my <laughs> gut says old miss, but Auburn has looked good with bone Nicks turning into Johnny Manziel over the last two weeks. So uh, right. who the hell knows, but uh, let's go over to um, what we week nine games show the biggest edge in our model, Nick. And, and I mean, do you think it's a good thing or a bad thing this week? Well, what are you seeing here? So I, I, last week it wasn't a good thing. There were our, our model, uh, if there's an edge of five points or more compared to the official line, uh, last week we're four and seven. And the games that we talked about in, in this segment last week, I think we're one and two. So wasn't necessarily a great sign last week, but that actually is. I went back and, and tried to get a little bit more firm uh, number on it. In that scenario this season, decent decent performance. We're 58 and 52 uh, when our projection is more than five points off of uh, the official point spread. Vegas Insider Consensus is what we use each week um, when it's published to our patrons on, on Tuesday afternoon. So, you know, a decent spot for us. Uh, there are only two games this week where we have a, a calculated edge of five points or more. UTEP plus 12 is an 8.4 point edge against FAU. Uh, and then Indiana plus six is a 5.85 edge at Maryland. So uh, last week, like I said, you know, not not great. Uh, I, I feel okay about the UTEP game, although I did get an extended look at FAU, excuse me, last week and was, was pretty impressed. I feel like that offense has uh, really stepped forward and UTEP, as good as they've been, six and one, we had underrated them for a long time. But in recent weeks, we've actually uh, caught up a little bit, and they've been a, a, a good team in our projections. Um, uh, but they just haven't haven't played a real tough opponent in a while. And uh, FAU, I think, is more explosive offensively than a lot of the teams that UTEP has, has had success against in recent weeks. So I don't know if I feel great about that one, Indiana has just kind of really, really fallen uh, on hard times. A lot of injuries. Multiple quarterbacks uh, have been injured and, and missed time. It looks like they might be starting a true freshman, talented true freshman, but still a true freshman at, at quarterback. The running back position has been hit hard. The secondary injuries uh, have, have been a major issue. Uh, so Indiana playing a really, really tough schedule um, you know, uh, doesn't look like a great team on paper, dealing with a lot of different things. Maryland showed some promise early in the year, but really has struggled uh, in weeks past. We think that that game, or at least our, our uh, projection, has it at basically a toss-up. Do have Maryland favored, but by less than a point. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see. Uh, but just sort of the, you know, 
go into a little bit more detail on only two of the games meet that uh, meet that marker of, of a five point difference in our spread and, and uh, the, the Vegas insider spread. Our average edge uh, in games this year is 3.44. Uh, that's a little higher than we prefer. I'd, I'd prefer to be around three. Um, want a little bit of difference from the odds makers so that it does show maybe some value, but also want it to be pretty close because then it shows that, hey, we're seeing teams in a similar way, don't have many you know, major outliers, don't have many uh, things that we've, we've messed up and aren't calculating for. Uh, but our lowest this year and the only week where we had an average edge of less than 3.0 was in week three when it was 2.79. Well, this week it's 2.11. I think that's our lowest ever, uh, or, or excuse me, I think it's our second lowest ever. I think I remember last year having like a 2.06, but I haven't had time to, to check and, and make sure. Um, but that just means there's very little room for error. Uh, and our our projections, we're going to have a good, you know, probably absolute error just because our projections aren't far off the odds makers. Um, but, you know, hopefully... Hopefully, maybe we get lucky in some spots. Probably we'll need it because when we have an edge of less than three in games this year, our record's 96 and 110. So uh, that's that's been a bit of a struggle for us. Uh, hopefully that can you know turn around a little bit. We, we win a couple of coin flips, but there's going to be very, very little margin for error because our projections are so close, so tight with uh, the official uh, Vegas Insider Consensus point spread that we grade ourselves against each week. All right. Well, with that, let's go ahead and move into the week nine uh, look ahead here. And we're going to start with a Nick game and end with a Nick game. So I like this. The first one is that aforementioned game from Xavier SMU at Houston. Uh, This was a pick earlier. Now what I'm seeing on betting pros is Houston minus one. The over under is 62 and a half, Nick. So how do you see this game playing out? Because this is going to be a very, very fun game to watch. Yeah, I wanted to, to talk about this one. I gave strong consideration to San Diego State against Fresno State. We haven't talked a lot of uh, non-Power 5 matchups, uh, especially in, in recent weeks, and there are some really good uh, you know G5 teams out there. And this game does have you know playoff implications because uh, a lot of the you know talk around Cincinnati is their strength of schedule. Will they get a marquee game with potentially an undefeated SMU in uh, a week or two, whatever it is, um, uh, to or actually on November twentieth, so towards the towards the very end of the season? You know, will that be a top fifteen matchup of undefeated teams? Give Cincinnati a little bit of a, a resume boost, or actually, would it be maybe a little bit better if Houston wins this game, makes it to the AAC championship game against Cincinnati as a one-loss team, SMU, you know, would be a one-loss team maybe that that Cincinnati would go against. Still a quality uh, win there, and and you know would a would a, uh, a bigger matchup against Houston in the the championship game help Cincinnati? Who knows? But this game itself is a little bit interesting because. I, I could see it coming weeks in advance because we do have projected point spreads for every game all season. I've had them since we you know, put our, our FES team profiles together in the summer. And Houston has been favored in this game and our projections pretty much all year. 
Uh, we talked very briefly in our AAC preview that we had Houston favored in every regular season game. Uh, we had them favored, you know, that includes the the game they lost against Texas Tech in week one. But since then, Houston's been Houston's been pretty good. Uh, they have, uh, of course, won every game since. Uh, they've been pretty impressive when you look at the postgame win expectancy. Only one game did they have a number lower than 82%. That was 40% against Navy. So, and we just talked about, you know, what Navy did to, to Cincinnati. Not a huge surprise there. But Houston is a quality team. Uh, they are talented, especially for a group of five team. Defensively, you know, our position by position ratings, Houston is number one or number two in the AAC in every category. And you think about how good that Cincinnati defense is, that's that's pretty impressive that Houston has our number two defensive line, our number one linebacker core, number one front seven, number one back seven given Cincinnati's you know, strength in the secondary where Houston's number two to get that linebacker and secondary uh, combined back seven to be slightly better than Cincinnati's is, is pretty impressive. So from a talent standpoint, Houston's very, very good. They're one of those teams that can be difficult to trust in years past. It seems like they've had really talented rosters, haven't quite lived up to – uh, you know, those sort of expectations look like they were maybe going to you know, suffer through that again in 2021 when they lost that game to Texas Tech. But they've got some exciting players. Clayton Toon, who's been banged up quite a lot at quarterback, but he's been out there playing. He's good. Alton McCaskill, one of the better true freshman running backs in the country. Nathaniel Dell is a quality number one receiver. They've had other guys who've had big games, a lot of transfers in that receiving core. And then they've done something that that I think is just awesome is they've got an All-American uh, return man, Marcus Jones, who's also a pretty good corner, uh, put him on offense. And he's, he's playing receiver and has had uh, some you know pretty big moments there as well. So Houston on paper looks really, really good. And they have, though not necessarily against very tough opponents, and last week kind of let East Carolina hang around and, and have a chance to win the game in overtime before they were able to survive. But, you know, Houston has has uh, made it made a, a major step forward, I think, in being a little more consistent to the point that I do see them as a legitimate threat to SMU, not just what the numbers say. We have them slightly favored. SMU, of course, is very, very good. Similar to Houston, a lot of transfers. Uh, Tanner Mordecai, transfer quarterback from Oklahoma, has had a huge, huge year. Um, the receiving core is one of the best in the country. Their wide receiver and tight end group actually ranks number two nationally in our uh, individual unit ratings. Their offensive line is actually a top 10 unit in our talent ratings. They've been playing uh, at a top 25 level in O-line performance. Uh, but that's, you know, a top 10 caliber offensive line. So put that together. Ulysses Bentley uh, has been very limited in recent weeks. They're all ACC, all AAC, excuse me, uh, caliber running back. But Trey Siggers has, uh, you know, performed well, transfer from North Texas. The defense is not as talented as it was last year. They had a lot of those same ratings that Houston did, number one, number two, number three, in the conference, they've fallen a little bit to where right now 
they're no better than fifth at any of the three levels, but still a, a solid group that's playing, you know, pretty decent football on the whole. The defensive numbers aren't great. They are certainly susceptible to the pass. They're 103rd in our passing uh, team performance. That's in part because they've given up 8.7 yards per pass in games against FBS teams. That's 108th nationally. They're a little bit better in you know success rate. They rank top 25. They've, they've allowed a 37.7% success rate. But a lot of the other advanced stats that we look at kind of all over the place, 42nd in points per drive allowed, 72nd yards per play allowed, uh, 90th in EPA per play. Uh, so they're, you know, they're, they're certainly not a perfect defense. Offensively, they're going to be a handful. They uh, rank 15th in offensive team performance, 5th in passing team performance. Uh, they are 26th or better in our five most important stats, uh, 13th in yards per play. That's non-garbage time, FBS opponents only, as calculated by Brian Fromo. Uh, they are 20, uh, excuse me, they are 12th in points per drive in those same scenarios, 8th in success rate. They have a, a success rate of 50.4%. 26th in yards per pass, 14th in EPA per play, as calculated by Parker Fleming, CFB-graphs.com. So they're solid. It's a quality matchup. Two of the most uh, talented teams in the American, a one-loss team versus an undefeated team where the winner is going to be a, a resume builder for Cincinnati. It's a pretty important game. Wanted to make sure we highlighted it. And it should be close should be a toss-up houston has the home field advantage that's why we have them favored by 1.99 points if it were a neutral field we have smu favored by half a point but you know it it's a uh, it's difficult for me i think to trust houston because they just haven't quite you know been able to get over the hump uh under dana holgerson but hey maybe this is that moment so uh we officially are on houston uh, to win and cover as a pick them. Uh, but depending on, you know, what the line movement has, has been since we might just be right on what sort of that final uh, point spread is, but we have Houston winning. I, I certainly could see SMU surviving and advancing, staying undefeated and, and uh, staying alive for maybe a, a shot to knock off Cincinnati as an undefeated team later in the year. Uh, but our projection has, uh, Houston winning this game 33-31. So it'd be a slight over the 62 and a half, uh, but uh, getting it done, winning by two. Xavier, how do you see this one playing out? Because like Nick said, looks like a close one. Tough to trust either one of these teams. So uh, how do you think it's going to turn out here? Yeah, I mean, for me, this game definitely will come down to explosive plays. Uh, that is what makes SMU's offense go. SMU is an explosive ball club. They want to pass on the field. They want to hit some of, you know, one of the more underrated receiving cores in the country, whether it's Roberson, Grant Calcaterra. Obviously, Tanner Mordecai wants to get the ball out of his hand as much as possible. Um, and so that's going to be the biggest thing for Houston is it, it, to stop these, you know, 20, 30-yard plays that SMU loves to hit, you know, and, and they they throw haymakers, where I think Houston is going to be much more of a team that's going to try to jab SMU to death going to try to make SMU, you know, play four quarters of football, which SMU really has had to do all season. Uh, when you look at some of the games in which they played this year, you know, they've been able to kind of just punch people in the mouth and then kind of just, you know, run away from run away with it from there. Uh, I do like to, obviously, Nick put in the, the mention that they are at home. 
I think that's massive for a Houston team that, it, like I said, is going to be playing an offense that's going to, you know, want to hit big plays. And, and sometimes you need your crowd behind you to be able to, you know, to keep you locked in a little bit longer than, than you know, if you're on the road and you give up a, you know, a 25, 30 yard touchdown play. And then all of a sudden now you got the crowd against you rather than with you. So that'll, that'll be an experience. Um, It'll be definitely a plus, excuse me, for Houston. I think this game is a toss-up, like Nick added. I think this really, like I said, comes down to whether or not SMU's explosive offense can stay explosive. You know, one of the weird, you know, something that's always talked about is that the run game and defense travels. Well, let's see how much an explosive offense travels. We've seen it with a team like Ole Miss. Sometimes it does. Sometimes they have to grind it out like they kind of had to do at Tennessee, right? So similarly with, with SMU, let's see how much of an explosive offense will be able to travel on the road in a hostile environment. And was probably the biggest game for SMU this season uh, up until this point with, with you know, their season essentially being made up in the next three weeks because they play Houston this week and then they play Cincinnati in a couple of weeks as well. So we'll, we'll, we'll get to really see how good this SMU ball club is. Uh, this will be massive for Dana Holgerson, who at, during his time at Houston has been very up and down. Um, you know, losing Derrick King to Miami was one of the kind of the first things uh, that happened and just trying to figure it out. And now you finally feel like, you know, the stamp on this team is finally his and he can kind of rock with the team that he has currently, as opposed to in the last couple of years, he's kind of had, you know, that, that, that team has had some really big fluxes and changes to go throughout. Uh, so I like SMU here. Uh, I think when I, when I talk about their, their skill level, you know, when you get a guy like Grant Calcaterra who came back out of, I believe he came back out of retirement to, to add it to your, you know, your, your, your unit it is amazing. This is a guy who, you know, before, you know, what happened uh, at Oklahoma and him leaving football, taking an absence away, this is a guy who was probably going to be one of the first two or three tight ends taken off of the board. He was just that good uh, during his time at Oklahoma. Um, and he's still giving them amazing numbers. Uh, kind of, and like I said, like I said about this receiving court, under the radar. Uh, Reggie Roberson is another one of my favorite receivers in, in in college football. You know, I think he's an explosive guy. He he's gonna win, and he can do it all. He can do it intermediate. He can do it deep. Uh, you know, and, and you know, as long as he can, you know, the Tanner Mordecai can take care of the football. I think SMU will have more than enough ammo to win this game on the road. And, and what's going to be a tough, you know, environment uh, and, and a hostile one for them. And it's going to get them kind of prepared for what's going to take place when they play Cincinnati. As I believe that game is also on the road. So I'm going to go with SMU here. I think that that offense travels and that explosiveness travels. And I don't know if Houston can keep up with them. Uh, and like Nick said, East Carolina almost came that much closer to what they typically do every year, which is an upset win that just makes you scratch your head. ECU gets one of them every year. Uh, Houston was able to, you know, survive that ball that's game. SMU, I yeah. Exactly. <laughs> they, they do it every season. ECU gets a win that you're just like, how? And ECU's been close a couple of times this year. They almost beat South Carolina earlier this year, um, you know, and now they almost, you know, then last week obviously almost beating Houston. So I wouldn't take too much from that. ECU has one of these games where – a couple of these games in them. And I think maybe Houston was probably overlooking ECU to get to this big time matchup. I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case there either. Even with all that being said, I think SMU wins this ball game. Um, and that, yeah, I think it's going to be a really fun game. And I love that we're talking about G5. I can get tickets for this game uh, for 50 bucks to sit second row on the 50. Do it. Really? Do it. Another, game another thing. Four of the World Series <laughs> is Saturday night uh, for in its Houston uh, against Atlanta. So I was like, because I'm looking at, I was like, is this a day game? And I'm like, ah, it's a night game. I probably won't go, but that's why, because it's a night game during the World Series. So it's going to be, uh, you know, it's not going to be crazy busy. So 
Yeah. Uh, I was Another at the clinching. I-, I was at the Rockets game for the clinching game uh, of the NLCS for the Astros too. That oh, there was you funny. go. There so, you go. But go ahead, Nick. I'm sorry. Oh no, no, no! I, I, sorry to interrupt. One, one thing that uh, I failed to mention and should have, as we were talking about ECU almost uh, knocking them off. They, they did play after what was six hour weather delay. Yeah, so there was that's, yeah, that's crazy always... storms here. It pissed me <laughs> off so much, Nick, because I had Houston and I had the over, and it went to overtime, and I didn't get either one of them. So uh, <laughs> that that was uh, probably the most aggravating. Uh, game not of my alone. weekend. God. Yeah, not yeah, alone. I know I'm not alone. I just, <laughs> you know, it's uh, you know, be an old man and shake my fist at this game. But yeah, there was a lot of lightning and thunder uh, in the Houston area on Saturday. So, uh, but let's go to Xavier's first game, which he picked probably because he wants to hear what you have to say, Nick, in this game because we we kind of know what he likes here. But Iowa at Wisconsin. Wisconsin is a three and a half point favorite. The over is thirty six and a half. And I got to tell you, I think the money was when I looked last, it was on the uh, the under still. So let me see. Uh, no, no, it's it's over 74 percent over. But okay. the, um, uh, a lot of the cash going towards Iowa still. So how do you see this game playing out? Nick? Well, I, I have mentioned before that our totals one have been okay i mean nothing nothing spectacular but they've been better than our you know sides so far this year and and staying at at 51 percent uh but i have mentioned that the tails of our projections for totals aren't quite right that's something i definitely want to address in the off season it's worked out okay on games with totals over 65 we have i believe 55 games so far officially uh have had over uh, and, and a total over under of 65 or higher our record's actually 35 and 20 in those games and all but two of those we've been on the under so that's that's worked out okay but games uh on the other side of the spectrum where the uh, total is 50 or lower and this game of course you know uh, two touchdowns lower than that uh we're on the over on every single one of those games so there was absolutely no way our projection could get to 36 and a half i've done some little tweaks here and there don't want to completely overhaul the system uh mid-season uh but you know i know that that's a a major uh, area of improvement in our uh, projection model, our, our prism model that we use for our totals, uh, we're 36 and 44 in those games. So in in games with a total under 50, the under is is you know if you just blind bet the under, you would be in a good position. You would be eight games uh, over 500 in in those situations. So I think the you know the under in this game is is probably the side i would prefer to be on even though uh our projection at 42 is maybe the lowest i've ever seen our projections uh but yeah i mean it's it's a game where two excellent excellent defenses wisconsin ranks third in defensive team performance number one against the run uh iowa has really really struggled offensively that's been their major uh, you know, weak spot and, and why everybody 
you know, a lot of people, I should say, thought they were really, really vulnerable, probably uh, very much overrated when they were number two in the country last time they played and, and got knocked off by Purdue. But defensively, they're outstanding. They rank fourth in uh, defensive team performance, number five. So, you know, both of these teams would prefer to run the football. Uh, neither team, well, you know, Iowa specifically has really struggled. They're 87th in our rushing team performance, 106 overall. Wisconsin's made some improvement in recent weeks, have a pretty solid one-two running back combo in Chesma Lucy. Braylon Allen's come a long way uh, in a short time as a true freshman, really exciting player, excited about his future. Uh, they're 34th in rushing team performance, 87th overall, but you know, I would not expect Wisconsin to be able to consistently run the football in this game because Iowa's been so good uh, on on the defensive side of the ball and, and making teams try to beat them through the air, and that's been an issue too. They have had some injuries in recent weeks in the secondary, uh, but, you know, can we trust Graham Mertz, Wisconsin quarterback, to beat Iowa through the air? And, and recent evidence, you know, suggests probably not. So this game is – Two excellent, excellent defenses. I saw a note, Tom Fernelli of uh, CBS Sports pointed this out uh, uh, yesterday, I believe it was. 65 of the 129 points Wisconsin has allowed this season have come off of turnovers by its offenses, by its offense. That's 50, 50.4% of the, uh, you know, uh, scores that are, that are, uh, you know, if you look at just scoring defense, Wisconsin's allowed 129 points. Over half of those have been uh, Wisconsin's offense allowing uh, those points. So just a, a pretty incredible number there. But it just shows that even a, a very, very solid Wisconsin defense in a lot of traditional numbers, uh, it's even better than that. Because if you just look at what the defense has done and when the offense doesn't put uh, the defense in a bad position or lets the the opponent just score uh, outright a defensive touchdown. Um, you know, they're, they're solid. They're, they're a ton of fun. I've seen uh, some folks, uh, Chris B Brown, smart football is a really smart guy. I used to write for Grantland and, and has written books and stuff is a really uh, solid scheme guy posted uh, on Sunday. I believe it was talking about Jim Leonard, Wisconsin's defensive coordinator, Basically, the way he runs his offenses at Wisconsin, Chris Brown expects, uh, you know, one, NFL teams to make a real, real run at Leonard, who had, I believe the Green Bay Packers uh, made a run at him as their D.C. this last offseason, uh, and he decided to return to Wisconsin. But uh, just basically, you know, expects the way Wisconsin is playing defense right now is what the future of defense is going to look like in the next you know few years. So uh, that I think is is also a reason to you know just sort of keep an eye on on Wisconsin as a whole, even though they've been disappointing. But in in some ways, you know, you might expect that. Yeah, it looks like why would Iowa be an underdog in this game? Iowa's been a better team this year. Last games, you know, problems notwithstanding, but Wisconsin is still playing at elite level on one side of the ball and their offense right now, I think I trust a little bit more than I do Iowa's. Uh, they're just, they're able to run the football a little bit better. Uh, so, you know, our projection does have Wisconsin favored. We actually have Wisconsin favored in every uh, game in the regular season 
uh, from here on out. And so if, if they were to uh, be able to get through those and, and win each of those games, they'll be nine and three, eight straight wins. Then they start to look like a, a pretty decent team deserving of a spot in our top 25 in our power ratings. I know they're in the top 10 in SP plus. Uh, so this, this is a better Wisconsin team than perhaps, you know, their record would indicate or their somewhat lackluster uh, performances early in the season would indicate. On the other hand, Iowa, as good as they've been defensively, uh, has has maybe not been you know quite as good as their record would indicate. They were exposed a bit by Purdue, who just completely shut them down. The defense wasn't able to you know get the turnovers, the field position that they were able to rely on so much early in the year when they you know beat Penn State in a big game, uh, when they dominated Maryland, when they uh, were able to survive against Colorado State. So, uh, you know, it's it's a pretty evenly matched game. Wisconsin gets the home field advantage, and I think Wisconsin has a better offense. So I'm, I'm I think, glad that we're on Wisconsin, uh, on the side of Wisconsin to win this game outright. I mentioned how Wisconsin's favored in every regular season game from here on out. We actually have Iowa uh, as a projected underdog in, in a different game. So underdog in two of their final three games. We have them right now as a, uh, an underdog at Nebraska in the regular season finale. So our numbers you know, see these as two very, very evenly matched teams. Wisconsin's 26th in our power rankings. Iowa's 23rd. But Wisconsin has a little bit more favorable schedule, especially in this game with the home field advantage. I expect it will be... An ugly game, low scoring, 14 to 10, 17, 14. I'm sure we're going to miss the uh, over 36 and a half. I just know it. Uh, you know, even though it's, you know, a defensive touchdown or two, not out of the realm of possibility would go a long way for us to get there. This is going to uh, end up looking like Clemson and, and uh, who Georgia. was it? Week, Georgia week yeah, one, 10 yeah. and seven. Very know. much could be. Our final score prediction is Wisconsin uh, 22 20. So we're actually on Iowa to cover, but I, I think I'm glad that we have Wisconsin winning outright. And I think they win, you know, by a field goal. Maybe if they get a, you know, a, a big play on special teams or, or a, you know, major turnover or something, they might be able to, to sneak out a, a touchdown or more. Uh, but something in that range, 21, 17 seems, seems about right. Uh, and I, I think Wisconsin is rightly favored, though we are, you know, for projection purposes and, and grading performance, kind of rooting for Iowa in this one to keep it close. But uh, it's, it's you know, it could be ugly, but it, it could be fun, too. We'll see. <laughs> Xavier, uh, this is a game you picked and you kind of said before you you feel like Iowa has the edge in this game. What makes you like the Hawkeyes here? Yeah, I, I love the fact that. Everything Nick said about Iowa and as opportunistic as that defense has played is playing Graham Mertz this week. I mean, you know, what what better way to get your secondary back online after giving up almost 200 yards or 200 plus yards to one receiver is to play a quarterback right now who has more interceptions than touchdowns by a large margin. By the way, Graham Mertz currently two touchdowns to seven INTs. I mean, it's not even close. So I what, what better way? Yeah. Yeah, Scott. <laughs> uh, but what better way to hop in and, and get your defense right back on, you know, track than playing a deep, than playing an offense as, as one, one dimensional 
as Wisconsin is and one dimensionally great at what year we've been able to be decent at stopping so far, right? If Wisconsin was this team that threw it around the yard, I'd be terrified for Iowa coming into this week. However, Iowa's going to put eight in the box, put a man-on-man, you know, receiver, and, and, and I think they can really shut down a Wisconsin offense that has struggled mightily in big games this year. I mean, they have sucked in big games. Their last big game was against Notre Dame, and they were around for about three quarters, and then they weren't. You know, and so for me, when I think about this game, I go, who's looked better this year in big games? Iowa's been able to win most of theirs. Wisconsin's not only lost theirs, but also looked rather unimpressive, especially on the offensive side of the ball, with against teams that are able to scheme around the fact that Wisconsin wants to run with Malusi and, and run with that, you know, that that running back tandem. And that's how they're going to get the bulk of their yards and keep Graham Mertz out of third and longs. Keep Graham Mertz to under 20 passes in that game. And, and I really think you're going to see a concerted effort for Iowa to just say, no, we're, Graham Mertz, you're going to have to win this ball game. You're just going to have to. And once again, I don't think he'll be able to come, you know, to do so. And so that's why I like Iowa. I also like Iowa because they finally got punched in the mouth. They, they finally didn't show up for four quarters. Iowa came in there at home and embarrassed you guys. And I know for the last week and some change, that's all that they've heard. That's all that the coaches have drilled into their heads. And what better way to get back on track than to, you know, stomp on a division rival and really put some distance between you and everybody else in your division and make it known that although we lost to Purdue, we're going to the Big Ten championship game and there's nothing anybody can do about it. And so I, I think that when you talk about, you know, Nick, you're talking about trajectories right now. Yes, Wisconsin has shown itself to have a better offense over the last couple of weeks. But the offense isn't anything nuanced. This is exactly what we expected from Wisconsin at the beginning of the year if they were going to win ball games, It was going to be a, a heavy dose of that running attack and, and keeping Graham Mertz to a game manager. On the other side of that, you were going to see Iowa, you know, this week, in my opinion, go, you know, balls to the wall. I think they're going to pull out the trick plays. They're going to try to get back on track as much as they possibly can. And, and really, Kirk Ferentz has to get that locker room back in order after what happened last week, after losing to Purdue, losing as a number two team in the country, the highest ranking Iowa's, I think, maybe been ever had, if not, you know. And I think they were number one for like a week or two. But, yeah, I mean, it, yeah, I'm not a historian, so I, I didn't, I didn't you know. <laughs> But, yeah, pretty pretty good guess. Hard, hard to get. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so and, and what better way to get back on track like i said and he's gonna have to get those kids back back going because hey they, they, everything's still to play for they still have literally everything in front of them because they only fell to nine uh they're not out of the realm of possibility of still making the playoff if they were to win out if they run the table and were to beat ohio state in the big 10 championship championship game there's no somebody can make a compelling argument to me that iowa deserves to be in so everything is still in front of them to play for and so it's not like all of a sudden their season's just over. So I think Kirk Ferentz and company will get them ready to play. And I, I like Iowa in this game because I hate Graham Mertz. Yeah, I mean, Graham Mertz has been hard to watch this year. It's hard to stomach two and seven. And I was making a face uh, and then Captain bit me while I was making that face, Xavier. He must be a Wisconsin fan. He loves Graham Mertz. So I had no idea. But um, let's go over to Xavier's second game, which I think – is the game of the week here, Nick. Michigan at Michigan State. Michigan is a four-point favorite. Uh, 15 and a half is the over in this game. So uh, how do we see this one playing out? Because uh, I would love to see Michigan lose to Michigan State, but 
I don't know. I think this is where uh, Michigan State might turn into a pumpkin here. Well, remember last time these two teams played, Michigan State beat them. Uh, you know, it it was, it seemed a little weird and, and we've already talked about, uh, you know, how, how 2020, uh, it's difficult. It seems to, uh, take what we saw last season and apply it to this year in a lot of ways, Michigan state overall, other than the Michigan game, wasn't a good team last season. Uh, and they are much, much, much improved. Uh, they, you know, Obviously, seven and zero, top ten team in the national rankings. Uh, I have become. I, I've kind of kept a closer eye on Michigan State than most teams so far this year, and, and was really excited to see how much they would improve. Just because I've I've really started to uh, I've really started to like Mel Tucker. Um, I didn't honestly, even when he was at Georgia, I. I didn't feel like I knew all that much about him. I, I guess I just, in my mind, didn't give him a whole lot of credit for uh, his role in the defense because, you know, hey, it's it's Kirby Scott, uh, Kirby Smart as the head coach. Expect it's it's his defense, right? And so, uh, in some of those situations where there's a defensive head coach or an offensive head coach, even though somebody else might hold that title as coordinator. I, my mind just doesn't always, you know, give them the credit because I think, oh, the head coach is the one pulling the strings. But Tucker is obviously, uh, you know, made made a, a big name for himself as a recruiter, uh, spent a little time in Lansing, Michigan personally and, and like that area. So I've, I've just sort of built up a little bit of an affinity for Michigan State in recent years. And then they've just done some really interesting things. They're one of a handful of teams that have gone just all in on the transfer portal. And it was a little bit, uh, you know, I was just curious, is, is it going to pay off on, on paper? It's a way to completely revamp your roster in one year. And that's what Tucker and his staff did at Michigan state. Went and got Kenneth Walker, the third hit on him. He's been a Heisman contender much of this year. Uh, you know, leading rusher look great, you know, from the very, very beginning has just been an incredible addition to the, to the offense. They've got one of the better receiver duos in the big 10 and Jalen Naylor and Jaden Reed, both of whom have had uh, huge games. They brought in a quarterback to challenge Peyton Thorne for that starting spot and Thorne, who was recruited by the previous staff, you know, raised his level of play, won the job, and has played, you know, pretty well. The offensive line, much improved. I mean, they were bad last year in a lot of the the numbers that we uh, pay close attention to. This year, they're playing like a top 30 unit. The defensive line, good, not great, uh, but ranks 43rd in our D-line performance, and they completely remade the the back seven, you know, starting at least three uh, first-year transfers in uh, the, the, the back seven positions, including both corners. You know, it, it's, it's really, really interesting to see what can happen uh, when you get a, a, you know, a new head coach in, brings a, a different personality, seems like in a lot of ways a complete change from what was there before, brings in a, a brand-new roster, uh, or at least, you know, much more turnover than uh, we're used to seeing from one year to another, 
has the ability now to kind of handpick guys to fit a different system. It's it's really interesting to see what it what happens, and especially when it pays off like this. Because you know who would have thought Michigan State seven zero? Certainly not me. I thought they'd be improved, but I thought getting to a bowl game would be a, a great achievement. You know, if they're already bowl eligible and now playing in, you just called it maybe the best game, biggest game of the week. Uh, uh, Michigan, on the other hand, we talked in the preseason, you know, for, for three years, our roster strength numbers and, and our power rankings had Michigan as you know, top 10 team, top 15 team, like a lot of the, you know, same old folks, a lot of the other projection systems that rely heavily on recruiting ratings and things like that were in similar situation to us. A lot of the magazines, uh, a lot of the other just casual football fans kind of expected Michigan to be, you know, a, a good team. And in the last couple of years, there have been more and more people kind of jumping off and saying, oh, yeah, Michigan's overrated, overrated, you two among them. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and that Jim Harbaugh should be fired. I finally kind of jumped off a little bit, especially after our numbers started to show that this Michigan team is not as talented as what we're used to. And they're still outside of the top 35 in overall roster strength, offensive and defensive roster strength. But they, they are again, so much improved. Give Harbaugh credit. He revamped his defensive coaching staff. One thing that intrigued me in the off season uh, was that they got considerably younger on that side of the ball. Um, as far as the coaching staff goes, seems like, you know, I don't know if, if age has something to do with it, if bringing more of an NFL influence had something to do with it, if just it was finally, you know, able to click, uh, if getting Aiden Hutchinson back as a you know, fully healthy All-American caliber player had a, a big part to do with it. But defensively, they're a top five defense in team performance. They are seventh against the pass, 10th against the run. Some of the advanced numbers are uh, among the nation's best, sixth in points per drive, 15th in yards per play allowed, 12th in yards per pass attempt, 12th in EPA per play, 21st in success rate. Again, those are all uh, against FBS opponents only and filtered for garbage time except the yards per pass. They're, you know, a, a solid, solid defensive team, uh, and that has carried their overall team performance to a number five spot as well. The offense ranks 17th in team performance, 12th in rushing team performance. They have a, a two-headed running back duo that's been, you know, has been the best in the Big Ten. I talked about Wisconsin's, but Blake Corum and Hassan Haskins have been doing it all season. Uh, you know, they are solid. Cade McNamara is okay at, at quarterback. He hasn't made very many mistakes which is uh, a really important uh, piece of this. But there are people you know, who, who think maybe J.J. McCarthy, the five-star true freshman quarterback who has gotten more and more action, mostly as a runner, but a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit varied in that as well. But perhaps he creates a higher ceiling for Michigan. We'll see what his role is in the second half of the season. But Michigan's a very, very solid team. They've had some... Injuries on the offensive line, didn't have two guards last week. Not sure exactly what the, the uh, availability for them will be against Michigan State, but that unit ranks 25th 
in O-line team performance. Put that with a defensive line that ranks 12th in defensive line team performance. They're winning the line of scrimmage more often than not. And when you do that, you know, the, the other things tend to uh, take care of themselves. They're able to run the football, even though they might not have, you know, much of uh, they might not have an explosive playmaker in the receiving core since Ronnie Bell went down in the first game of the season. But they haven't needed it yet, at least. Will they need it against Michigan State? You know, we'll we'll see. Michigan State, even the as good as they are, as well as they played this year, uh, they're still they're not really a top ten team. I don't think they rank twelfth in team performance, but they rank twenty seventh on offense, twenty second on defense. They've been you know relatively consistent in both sides, no glaring weakness. But you couple that with a roster profile that they they seem to be overachieving a little bit. They've made some big improvements, have some some really, really uh, good players, exciting players, but they only rank 51st in overall roster strength, 53rd on offense, 50th on defense. Combine all of that with as much as I like Tucker, his track record, you know, he's only been a head coach for two years prior to this, one year at Colorado, good, not great. Last year at Michigan State, you know, not really all that good. Uh, he's 40th in our head coaching ratings. Put it all together, Michigan State's 25th in our power ratings. Michigan ranks 8th. So we do have Michigan favored. Michigan State does have the game at home, did have an extra week to prepare. So, you know, there there are reasons to think that this game will be close. But quite honestly, I, I, I think Michigan State is kind of running out of time a little bit. In the back half of this schedule, they still have Ohio State and Penn State to play as well, although Penn State not quite as good maybe as we thought a few weeks ago. I I think Michigan State's going to come back to earth a little bit. I, I don't know that they're a 10-win team. I certainly don't think they're a top-10 team. I think they've made huge strides in one year, and I'm really excited about what the future looks like if, you know, Mel Tucker doesn't leave for the LSU job or something like that. I think Michigan State is a place where you can win at a high level. Uh, and I think he could potentially be the guy to get them there if, if they're able to hold on to him. But I think they, you know, maybe we're the, 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 the uh, commentary around this game, top 10 matchup, all of that is a little too much too soon, maybe for both of these teams. But I think Michigan might be just a little bit closer to that than Michigan State is. So our projection has it pretty close, the home field advantage being a part of that. Uh, we do have Michigan Michigan favored, uh, but we do have Michigan State to cover. Our prediction is 28-25. That's probably a touch too high scoring. Um, but I, I think if I had to, you know, really make a, a, an opinionated pick on this game i think michigan might win by double digits i just think they're a better team and i i I think michigan state is kind of overachieved and and is maybe due for uh you know a poor performance some of the post-game win expectancy numbers aren't great uh you know the talent profile as i mentioned not great so i i think i think there's an opportunity here especially in the second half of the season for teams to knock off michigan state 
and it feels like Michigan could win by 10 or, or 14, something along those lines. But I hope it's a great game. I hope it's a, a close game like our uh, projections have it. And then, you know, I, I, I hope Michigan State covers because that's what the projection is. But I, I feel like Michigan's going to win this one relatively easily. Uh, all right, Xavier, why is Nick wrong and Michigan State's going to win this game? We know, I, I mean, I could just, sorry, I, I'm taking Michigan in this game. Uh, and maybe you have uh, switched and turned around and, and uh, come to the uh, Michigan side here, but it really seems like you're going to go ahead and pick Michigan State as usual. So yeah, why yeah, are the Spartans going to win this game? Yeah, I'm crapping all over what Nick said. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, yeah. This, one, let's start with the quarterback problem at Michigan, okay? Kay McNamara is a game manager. That's what he is. That's what he does. I have yet to see Kay McNamara in a situation where he has to win a ball game. Yes, I mean, you could point to maybe Nebraska a couple of weeks ago, but this is a better team. Michigan State's a better team. Michigan State has a better offense than what Michigan has seen in a very long time. Uh, probably maybe all season, to be perfectly honest with you. I'll keep it 100% honest. They have the most amount of – their receiving core is very underrated. Obviously, Jalen Naylor gets all the headlines, but this is a receiving core that has three guys on it that could easily all hit 700 yards this year. Uh, that, that, in its own right, is, is really, really good. I wouldn't be surprised if Naylor – and I can't remember his other name. Also, they, they might have 2,000-yard receivers. I don't know if that's po if you know possible at this point. You know, I think Kenneth Walker – I think Walker is – obviously, he's going to break 1,000 yards this week. He's only three yards off, off the pace to do so. I think they're going to have a, a hell of a day trying to stop him in between the tackles. And I think when you talk about the quarterback position – I have more quarterback. I have more confidence in, in Michigan State's quarterback position than I do in Michigan's. Michigan, I, as Nick said, even the entire, even you know, the Michigan faithful don't necessarily know if Kate McNamara is the guy, and they're seven and zero. So to not know if he's the guy at seven and zero should tell you everything you need to know about him at the quarterback position and the kind of confidence that they may have. He's on a probably a medium sized leash. He's not on a short one. He's not on a long one. But I wouldn't be surprised if two slow drives and we start to see, you know you know, some possible changes, maybe some mix up on a drive. Maybe they, you know, they, they, they bring in the backup just to give a little bit of a different look as Nick said, you know, maybe, you know, as being more of a running threat and giving, you know, just, just Michigan state something else to deal with. I think Michigan in this game is going to pull out all the stops because I think both of these teams are going to struggle in the next, in their next two big matchups, both having to play Ohio state and Penn state, because I think personally, I think when you look at the, the two teams that I just mentioned, I think Penn state, is better defensively than both the teams we're talking about now. And I think Ohio State is the best team in the Big Ten right now. So I think both of these teams will look to get this game as kind of, you know, uh, a little bit of a, a safety net as a, hey, we beat a top 10 ranked team. So don't, don't completely bludgeon us when we lose to team A and team B later on this year, personally, uh, to be honest. And also Michigan State's at home. You know, we talked about it earlier. I think this is going to be a very a, a massive difference to what we have saw last year. Obviously, Michigan State – is going to be a ridiculously big crowd. I think the last time Michigan State was there, they got blown. I think last time Michigan was at Michigan State, they got blown out. Uh, you know, Michigan State did, excuse me, at home, and that was the last time that they had fans at a Michigan Michigan State game. If I'm not if I'm not mistaken, as well. So that, that that's incentive alone for Michigan State to come out and play better. I think this is an opportunity for Michigan State to claim itself as the best team right now in Michigan. And personally, I, I think this is. You know, Harbaugh's been sending off smoke screens the entire year. I'm not sold yet. They haven't played anybody worth anything yet. And we'll see over the next, you know, month and a half if this Michigan team actually is this good or if they could just go 7-0 and up until their schedule got difficult. 
You know, because I think that that's a huge aspect to this when you look at the teams in which they played. You know, they played, West, you know, Western Michigan, Washington, NIU, Rutgers, Wisconsin, Nebraska, Northwestern. None of that comes and goes, wow, that's a very difficult schedule. And on the flip side, you talk about Michigan State. I think their most impressive win this year is probably the one at Miami uh, up until this point. But we've seen the struggles that Miami has had this year. I think at this point, though, that Michigan State is coming to this game with a little bit more confidence. I got a chance to really sit down and watch that Michigan Northwestern game last week. And I'll be honest with you, going into halftime, it was an ugly ball game. Northwestern, you know, kept Michigan pretty much at bay. They 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 really forced them to go and have methodical drives. And against Michigan State, that's not I don't think that's gonna work the same way. I don't think Michigan's gonna be able to put these nine, 10, 12, 13 play drives like they did against Northwestern, where they're kind of just picking them apart. Third and fives are easy for, you know, Kay McNamara to, to complete Blake Corum, Blake Corum, Blake Corum. And then they finally, you know, are able to work their way into the end zone. Whereas on the other end, I think Michigan State can be a little bit more explosive on the outside. We saw it in last year's matchup. Jalen Naylor had one hell of an afternoon against that Michigan secondary, who I think is rather untested since the Nebraska game. And so I think a little bit we can take you know, we could take from that that in this game, I think Michigan State is going to be able to be a little bit more explosive, which is going to allow them to have some quicker drives, which is going to keep the defense off the field. And I, and I think most I think most importantly, I just right now I have more confidence in Michigan State going into this game. Also being at home, this is Michigan's first big test of the year. And I don't have any faith really in a quarterback situation where I could genuinely say it's probably a 60-40 or a 65-35 split between the fan base of what quarterback they want, and they're 7-0, and up, which I think is such a, a mind-boggling situation to be in. It, it often it has it reeks of old uh, old Washington fans when they used to talk about Jake Browning. And it was like, oh, yeah, we win a lot of games with this kid, but we don't think he's the guy. We don't think he actually is going to get us to the ceiling we need him to get us to. And if we could bring in some other talent, like when they brought in Jacob Eason, maybe he's the guy instead, even though we've had all this you know success with him. That just doesn't sit well with me. It says to me that maybe they don't expect him to play well in big games or they expect the offense to be bogged down in big games when teams can just scheme against the run and now he's forced to pass the ball around the yard and try to make plays on third and sevens, third and eights. So I'm going to go Michigan State here. Yes, I'm going to go. I'm going to be the contrarian like I typically am on the podcast. But uh, yeah, let's go Michigan State. Let's go Sparty. And I have a little bit of homer with Mel Tucker because he was an assistant coach at Georgia. Just a tad bit. I love it. Uh, I'd be fine if they won outright. It's going to be a great game. Uh, I'm excited about that one. Uh, My first game here is Ole Miss at Auburn. Auburn's a a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Over-under is 66. I've talked about how I can't figure this game out because Bo Nix looks good now. Uh, You know, he was a highly recruited guy at uh, Auburn, has not played up to it. In the last couple weeks, he's been pretty damn solid. Uh, But Ole Miss only has the one loss, Alabama. Looks like one of the better teams in the country, specifically on offense. Defense is very, very questionable. So how do you see this one going, Nick? It's all up to you. Tell us how it's going to play out. <laughs> well, you know, quick, quick story. Uh, so uh, on Saturday night, right, last game, uh, finishing up, watching Hawaii, uh, almost lose or, or, you know, almost lose a lead to New Mexico State before they were able to pull away. And I'm stewing a little bit because the numbers are so bad. I'm looking ahead because after I do post the uh, the recap for the against the spread numbers, the next minute uh, I usually I'm publishing our uh, look ahead lines, our early uh, before any of the official 
lines are released on Sundays uh, by sports books or, or what have you. And I was going through and, and writing them all down based on what the projections were in our team performance, uh, or excuse me, our, our uh, FPS team profiles. And I was just like, ah, oh, geez, we have Auburn favored over Ole Miss. Of course, our numbers are terrible. They're so wrong. Like what? This is obviously wrong. And, you know, the next day I, I see the tweet that Circa uh, is the first always on Sundays to publish there or, you know, to, to post their numbers and allow bets. And they had Auburn favored. And I was like, okay, well, that's, I guess, makes me feel a little bit better. Uh, but it was, a, it was still a surprise because Ole Miss has been a really solid team. I and mean, when you talk about the steps that Michigan State has made, in a lot of ways, uh, you know, Ole Miss has, has made some of those as well, and and they haven't completely uh, reconfigured the roster or you know added a huge influx of transfers. They've added some important pieces here and there. You know, pretty big impact uh, linebacker Chance Campbell made some big plays against LSU. And has had some others earlier this year. Jake Springer, when he's healthy, a transfer from Navy, uh, has been a starting safety. For them, they've had to rely on Jacor Pearson, at receiver in recent weeks because of injuries to you know guys like Braylon Sanders and Jonathan Mingo. Uh, but a lot of these guys uh, were actually just left over from the previous regime, and you know made some strides on the offensive side of the ball last year. Matt Corral, of course, uh, being the big one, winning the job over. Um, John Rice Plumley, and then this year developing into a legitimate Heisman Trophy candidate. But it, it's interesting to see how this team compares a little bit to Michigan State. They feel like they're on a similar trajectory, started off a little bit, you know, higher last season, but it's done in a different way because I think, I think, you know, Lane Kiffin and his coaching staff have just done a good job coaching the players that are there adding in a few you know, bits and pieces in, in some key spots, but they've just kind of elevated the level of play and obviously a more talented roster he inherited, but you know, they're, they're just able to kind of take things to the next level. It seems like made some improvements last year and, you know, have, have turned this into a top 20 team. They rank 17th in our uh, power rankings. They rank fourth in offensive team performance, 21st overall, 80th on defense looked like they were going to be, you know, maybe in the realm of a top 60, top 50 defense in non-conference play. That's come down a bit as the, uh, you know, tougher teams that they've played uh, have, have come up on the schedule. But, you know, I, I think six and one at this point is very, very impressive. I, I expected for sure uh, multiple losses out of the stretch of Alabama, Arkansas, Tennessee, and LSU. I thought two and two might be the very best they would be able to manage in that four game uh, spread. And and you know they finished three and one, lost to Alabama, and were able to bounce back immediately and put up pretty good number. Impressive, you know, more impressive each week in wins over Arkansas, Tennessee, and LSU. Fifty two percent post game win expectancy from collegefootballdata.com against Arkansas, 68 against Tennessee, 99 last week against LSU. Pretty impressive performance. And, you know, they are an underdog on the road at Jordan-Hare Stadium this week. But like I said before, I expected Ole Miss to be favored in this game. 
So I kind of expect, you know, that they're the team to beat here, even even as an underdog. So I was a little surprised when our projection came out and we had Auburn favored. Uh, as things, you know, changed a little bit, the the uh, line movement slightly uh, between the time it was initially released by Circa and when we uh, offered our projection to our patrons uh, officially on Tuesday afternoon, uh, we're, we're on Ole Miss technically, not to win, but to cover a, uh, what is it, two and a half, three was was uh, what it was officially. Uh, two and a half officially up to, no, still two and a half, sorry. Uh, so we, we have it closer. We have uh, Auburn favored by 1.74. We have a 33-31 final score prediction, so an under, one of those, you know, 65 uh lines that that have been decent under spots to date uh but certainly almost capable of of putting up a lot of points capable of giving up quite a few points so wouldn't surprise me if if uh, we're on the wrong side of that one uh you know when when all is said and done but auburn offensively kind of in that good, not great category. They're 38th on offense and team performance, 58th passing. Yes, I agree. Bo Nix has really shown some improvement in recent weeks, but he's in that category of, can I trust you week to week? Uh, even though it's a pretty decent matchup, Ole Miss statistically hasn't been great defensively. You know, they're, they're talented enough, have some pass rushers, have some playmakers on that side of the ball. Bo Nix's issue has been, uh, you know, taking care of the football in in you know the first couple of years of uh, his his tenure there as a starting quarterback, I I could foresee Ole Miss giving him some some looks and pressures that make him uncomfortable, uh, and you know that isn't always the best case for for Bo Nix and for Auburn. Obviously, the numbers at home have been better. Would expect the crowd to be a factor. Uh, that's a big part of why Auburn is favored both in our model and in, you know, by the odds makers. Been a little bit disappointed in Auburn's rushing attack, even though I think Take Bigsby is incredibly talented. I'm really intrigued by Jerquez Hunter, the true freshman. He's been impressive. Sean Shivers has shown flashes. They've got a, a deep group there, but the offensive line ranks 46th in O-line team performance. There's not a, you know, dynamic game-breaking receiver demetrius robinson the transfers had some moments they've gotten more production from the tight end position uh you know cedric jackson's pretty good but it's just it's an offense that lacks a little bit of of something and so can they capture really that it's this anthony week? schwartz you know i mean one of the fastest players in college football or, or considered the, the fastest player in college football uh get somebody like that and it can change not just what happens on the field, but the way you prepare for it. And maybe there's just not somebody in that Auburn offense right now that that tests a, uh, an, a you know a, an opposing defensive coordinator. Perhaps that's that's a great point to bring up. Um, so it's it's I, I feel like me personally that that I wish we had Ole Miss to win the game outright. We are on Ole Miss to cover. Uh, it, it's a game Auburn absolutely could win. I I mentioned before two wins in that stretch for Ole Miss seemed like a lot. Extend it to, to this Auburn game, three and two. 
preseason I would have thought would be a pretty good outcome for them. Uh, that I think is still the case. Auburn has, you know, really the the loss at Penn State was was tough, uh, and but the Georgia game was the only one that you know they they just weren't able to to hang with Georgia so far. No one else has been. So I think this Auburn team is capable of of making some noise in the second half of the season. They do have an extra week to prepare. That's just always something to make note of. It's not necessarily the advantage always that we think it is, but it can be. Uh, so they've had an extra week to prepare for that Ole Miss offense, which is obviously so explosive. The Auburn defense is the better side of the ball statistically. They're 25th in defensive team performance, 14th against the run. And Ole Miss, you know, we think about Matt Corral and his passing ability and those receivers, but they can run the ball really well. We're the SEC's leading rusher, uh, rushing offense last season and rank eighth, you know, a few points higher than their passing uh, in our team performance numbers. So, you know, that's going to be a big thing. Can Auburn uh, stop the run? Can they come up with a big play? Can they make Matt Corral, uh, you know, have to beat them? Will Matt Corral have one or both of those receivers back? There have been, you know, very, very little information on the extent or, or you know, when we might be able to expect Mingo or Sanders back. So, I'm I'm with you. I don't have a a real great read on this, but my my hunch is that this is a game Ole Miss can and maybe should win. But Auburn is you know got the home field advantage and talented enough that you know it's certainly a game they can win. So very close, pretty high scoring. Seems right. Our projection thirty three thirty one. I feel like we're on you know. I, I'm more comfortable being on Ole Miss's side to cover, uh, but this this certainly could be, especially if you know Bonix has continues that improvement we've seen. Certainly, as a game that you know Auburn could win by a touchdown or more, uh, but I, I just I don't quite trust it yet. And for whatever reason, I I, I trust Ole Miss just a little bit more, uh, even on the road in, in this one. Javier, what do you think of this Ole Miss-Auburn uh, game? Because it's a tight one here. How do you see it Absolutely. playing out? Yeah, uh, I'm kind of with Nick on this one. And I've been, obviously, I've, I've trashed Auburn a couple of times on this podcast, and they've proven oh. me wrong at least once. I mean, hey. Oh, you know, I don't like them. I'm a Georgia fan. It, you know, it kind of skews me every now and then. But I'm going to be a little bit more even-keeled on this one. I, I, I think this game could go either way, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, I, I've said before in the past that what – that what I look at when it comes to two, a toss-up game like this is what team does what elite. When we look at Ole Miss, obviously they have an elite offense. They have a quarterback who probably, barring any craziness down the stretch, will be one of the first two quarterbacks taken, maybe one of the first three, uh, barring obviously any offseason things that may go on. Um, and on the, on the flip side, we've got Bo Nix, who I think, you know, in, in true SEC fashion, I think a lot of you guys, I think Nick and Scott will both remember this name, but his, his season this year has rem- reminded me of Bo Wallace. Good bow, bad bow. I mean, it, it goes up, 
he has great ups and has great downs. And this is how he plays. Um, and, and I think that it's fitting that his name is also Bo. Uh, and just I, how the fan base feels about him is exactly the same way that Ole Miss felt about Bo Wallace. He could take them to a sugar bowl like he did one year, or they could end up seven and five. I mean, it could go either way at this point for, 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 Bo, for Bo Nix this year. And I would not be surprised with either one, to be perfectly honest with you, uh, just because I've seen the peaks that he's had throughout his career and also also seen the troughs in which he's had too. Um, and coming into this game, I think what has been impressive about Ole Miss over the last two weeks is that their defense has actually turned a corner. I, I don't know if it's due to the fact that they've played Tennessee and LSU over the last two weeks, but giving up only 26 points and 17 points are two of the fewest numbers that they've given up over the last two seasons, period, uh, just let alone this year. And, and I think that maybe they turned a corner at, at Tennessee and maybe they figured out some things and, and Lane is you know, been talking about over the last couple of weeks how there has been more of a concerted effort getting stops and bending but not breaking, you know, and I think that you see that as they're playing, you know, they're giving up some of the stuff, you know, some of the small stuff, but they're not giving up deep balls. And I think that's going to be what helps them against Auburn. Like Nick said, Auburn has been a team that has had to beat most teams outside of Arkansas pretty much methodically. You know, they've had to get Bo Nix maybe on a scramble on a third and 10 Tank Bigsby, you know, getting, you know, 20, you know, Shibers out of the backfield with a quick 15. They haven't been able to hit the big play really consistently, except for that Arkansas game, which we really saw them take the top of the defense. Um, and I think that's the first time that I've seen for in a while Bo Nix have that kind of time, one, in the pocket, and two, be able to hit his receivers down the field hit because his deep ball accuracy has not been great throughout his time at Auburn. Um, and I think that'll be a key for Auburn if they're going to win this ballgame. It's going to be Bo Nix being able to hit Demetrius Robertson and company down the field because I don't think you're going to be able to beat this Ole Miss uh, defense by trying to have 12, 13, 14 play drives. Uh, one, because I think Ole Miss is going to put so much pressure on your offense to score because they're going to put their own points on the board. And typically with these high-power offense, that's one of the biggest concerns is if Ole Miss comes in and gets 14 nothing really quickly – what does Auburn have to do? You know, our, our, Bo Nix is going to have to now be a, a, a five-step drop, seven-step drop kind of guy, and that's not his formula. That's not what he does well. On the flip side of that, if Auburn's able to execute those long drives, Ole Miss's offense is off the field, making sure that you know you can now put the pressure on them even though they like to score a quick drives. If they're able to keep them off of the field with 12, 13 play drives and put points on the board, most importantly, touchdowns, not field goals, that's massive. If they can put touchdowns on the board and not end up, you know, kicking too many field goals, I think Auburn has a chance to win this ballgame, especially with them being at home uh, at that stadium. I think Ole Miss's defense scares me as always, but my biggest concern really is can Auburn actually exploit what Ole Miss does poorly? And that's typically defending the pass. And Auburn hasn't shown me this year that they're a, a, a team that can pass the ball deep and really exploit bad secondary so far outside of, like I said, the Arkansas matchup. So, and that's with them playing Georgia State, which probably, and Nick can give me the number, has one of the worst defenses in college football. So, you know, uh, so that concerns me coming into this week is as bad as Ole Miss's defense is, can Auburn even exploit it like they need to? Uh, and so that's why I am going to go Ole Miss here. I am going to go with uh, the Rebels on this one um, on a big win for them. Well, like I said, they're not out of it just yet either. Who knows what happens down the stretch with, uh, with Alabama. And Ole Miss has just got to continue to compound games. Whoever wins this game is definitely going to be fingers crossed that Alabama slips up somewhere because obviously both of these teams, I think Ole Miss only has one loss in the SEC and Auburn has, I believe, two. So both of these teams and, and Auburn still controls its future with it still playing Alabama at the end of the year, if I'm not mistaken. So. That's going to be massive uh, in, in this game. And, and, but I think Ole Miss comes in and gets a very impressive road win uh, like they were able to do at Arkansas and even at Tennessee. 
All right, the next game that I picked here is Ohio State uh, versus Penn State. Ohio State is an 18-and-a-half-point favorite here. Um, the over-under is 60. I don't know how anyone can have faith in Penn State after losing to Illinois in nine overtimes. Maybe they, you know, it was the look-ahead spot. So, you know, Ohio State is going to get challenged this week. But Ohio State has been the most dominant non-Georgia team since Oregon. Uh, since that Oregon loss, the, their closest game was a 21 point win to Tulsa the week after that. They've blown out everybody else that they faced, Nick. So uh, this feels like an Ohio State stomping to me, but it's a weird year. Looks can be deceiving. How do we see this one uh, playing out? Yeah, I, I agree that they have been since that second half of the Tulsa game, just incredibly dominant, explosive, the best offense in college football across the board and our team performance ratings, number one on offense, number one passing offense, number one rushing offense. Uh, the defense has taken a pretty big step forward too. And, you know, had to, to shake up the coaching staff a little bit. It, it seemed uh, a new play caller was necessary and it's, it's paid off. They seem a little bit more prepared. There were struggles getting, lined up correctly to some, you know, quad looks or, or unbalanced lines, things like that against Oregon. Sometimes just early in the season, that sort of thing, especially if, you know, maybe you didn't see it on a uh, tape coming in, uh, you know, can, can catch you off guard during a game, uh, but they weren't able to adjust to it, ended up losing that game, obviously. Uh, and since, you know, whether it's difference in play caller, whether it's some practice, uh, techniques, whatever, whether it's just some, you know, guys getting a little more comfortable experience wise, a little healthier. We know CJ Stroud was banged up early in the year. They sat him down against Akron. And, and since then he's been maybe the best quarterback in college football, uh, you know, over the past few weeks. Now, all that said, who have they, who have they played since, right? They had that second half against Tulsa then destroyed Akron, who's one of the worst teams in college football. Rutgers and Maryland, not exactly cream of the crop in the Big Ten East. Uh, an off week, and then Indiana's been, you know, banged up across the board. But that secondary's, you know, really been shorthanded, losing some all Big Ten caliber players in recent weeks. So, you know, they've they've done what they were supposed to do, put up huge numbers in those games and right now are just completely rolling, especially on offense, look like maybe the best team in college football the last couple of weeks. I mean, I know, again, uh, another uh, projection model out there, SP Plus actually has moved Ohio State ahead of Georgia uh, this past week. They're number one in the country. So, you know, we're not quite there. They're number three in our power rankings, but with the number one offense and in, you know, as as good as they've been on that side of the ball, it's pulled up some good, not spectacularly great defensive numbers to make them on margin, uh, you know, put up some really, really impressive, important stats for us. They're number two in net yards per play, number two in net points per drive, number three in net yards per pass attempt, number three in net success rate and number one in EPA margin. So, you know, they've they've been so good on offense that it's pulling up uh, what's basically a top 25 
defense. They're 17th in yards per play allowed, 25th in points per drive, 27th in yards per pass attempt, 32nd in success rate, and 20th in EPA per play defensively. But those numbers have, have improved quite a bit in recent weeks from where they were, uh, you know, first couple of weeks against Minnesota and Oregon. Just so happens Minnesota and Oregon, arguably the you know toughest teams that they faced uh, this year. So we'll see. Right now it looks like Penn State, despite some very disappointing results, at least last week against Illinois, but also against Iowa where they were just completely, uh, you know, once Sean Clifford went down, we're, we're dead. Weren't able to do uh, anything offensively, could not, you know, get to midfield. And their defense is solid. This should be the best defense, at least since Oregon, but, you know, maybe make an argument uh, that they're in, in the same caliber, uh, especially a, a Oregon defense that Ohio State played. Remember, Kayvon Thibodeau wasn't on the field. So, you know, you would think this Penn State defense would be in that in that range. They're 15th in team performance, number three against the pass, uh, which is going to be an interesting thing to watch given those Ohio State receivers are so good, the best group in the country, uh, most would say. What will Penn State be able to do offensively? I love Jahan Dotson. I think he's one of the better receivers in college football. Uh, they have to find ways to get him the ball to have a chance to win. They haven't been able to run the football at all. They rank 106th in our rushing team performance, 81st overall. And Sean Clifford seems healthy enough to play after you know last week uh, played against Illinois, but did not look you know, uh, healthy. And he hasn't been the most consistent uh, quarterback throughout his career. Looked like maybe he was taking a step forward in the new, uh, the new system with, uh, you know, their change of offensive coordinator at Penn state in the early weeks, but uh, hasn't, hasn't been there in, in this back-to-back uh, in these back-to-back losses to Iowa and Illinois. So are they going to be able to, to take a step forward? The offensive line needs to play better. They're 90th in our O-line performance ratings. And then can the defense, as good as it is, just slow Ohio State down and keep this thing close? I think that's really the only question. I mean, Ohio State, with this game being at home, uh, with this uh, them playing at the highest level we've seen this year, maybe of any team – in the country, maybe with Georgia's the the uh, argument to that, this is a game that Ohio State should and I think will win. It's just by how much. 18 is a pretty big number. And as rough as Penn State's looked the last couple of weeks, you know, our, our numbers based on some of their early season performances haven't quite, you know, pulled back enough. They're still 11th in our power rankings. The, the, the Penn State team we've seen the last two weeks is not the 11th best team in the country. I get that. Uh, so I, I, you know, I don't have a, a ton of faith that Penn State will be able to cover. We have this as Ohio State is a 16 and a half point favorite. So we are on Penn State to cover. Our final score prediction is a little lower scoring. I guess we are expecting Penn State just to kind of maybe slow things down maybe limit some Ohio State possessions. That's probably their best chance to not get blown out. But our, our prediction on a final score is 37-21. That's one possible outcome. 
47-10 is another. Uh, so I, I don't, you know, the evidence the last few weeks doesn't look like Penn State's going to be able to keep this close. But the, the talent profile and the Penn State team we have saw in September suggests that it could be around a two-touchdown game. I don't think they're going to be able to, to pull off an upset. I would frankly be shocked if that happened. But this year, I mean, we've seen some relatively shocking results. But uh, as, it, as it stands right now, I think Ohio State is rightly favored by a pretty big number. Uh, we're just hoping it doesn't quite get to, uh, you know, three touchdowns in that range. Xavier, what do you think about this game? I mean, this looks like a lopsided game. Do you think it's going to play out that way? I just don't see how Penn State's able to put together an upset here. Now, obviously, that's why they're upsets because you really don't see it coming. But when you've watched Penn State this year, nothing about them has said explosive offense. Nothing about their offense has said, you know, this is something I can trust. Not even Sean Clifford in most of their ball games this year has been up to the challenge, in my opinion. And, and yeah, they've played some lesser competition. And I think they would have beat Iowa if Sean Clifford stayed healthy. Stayed healthy. I think that's probably the best game he's had this year. And he got hurt. So I, I just don't see where Penn State's able to put it all together. They're playing on the road as well, which doesn't isn't in their favor. You know, I think the last time Penn State beat a, a upset an Ohio State team ranked this highly, I think it was at Penn State. So I, I, I just don't see, you know, you know, when you talk about an upset, you're like, you look at the gap. You're like, how many, you know, pluses can I give to Penn State to close the gap? to make it seem like they could actually beat Ohio State in this ballgame. And I just don't see it happening right now. I think Ohio State is a train that got knocked off the rails a little bit, and they're back on the track, and they're rolling right now. I think C.J. Stroud in that in that receiving core with Garrett Wilson and, and Chris Olave has finally got the continuity that I talked about them needing at the beginning of the year if they were going to really run the table. Um and they're starting to get it. I mean, Chris Olave is at 600 and some plus yards. Uh, Garrett Wilson's not far behind them, you know, and, and that's not to say that, you know, in, in the backfields with Trey Henderson, they now have a running back that can go, you know, that, that's one of been Ohio State's biggest kind of concern coming into this year as well. We didn't necessarily know who the guy in the backfield was going to be. Trey Henderson, he, he's taking it and run with it. And I'm at this point, it's really just about can Penn State keep Ohio State, you know, under you know, what the what the over-under is at this point, in my personal opinion. Because I think offensively, they're not going to be able to hold on to the ball enough to keep that Ohio State team from being able to get exactly what they want. And I don't see any glaring issues on Ohio State's uh, defense that says, well, maybe they'll be able to exploit it this way. You know, maybe Javon, uh, Javon Dotson does get a couple of great catches here or there that keeps some drives alive for Penn State early in that ballgame. I just don't see them being able to do that for four quarters with Sean Clifford, who doesn't seem comfortable in the pocket still. You know, he still seems like he's a guy who his clock is two seconds instead of three, and he's out of there. You know, and, and against a, a, an Ohio State defense that's, that's equally athletic to him, and in most and in more cases, other guys on the field more athletic than him, it's going to be tough to get to, to get those running lanes that he's seen this season when he's really been getting it going uh, with like guys like Zach Harrison off the edge. I just don't see where Penn State's able to put it all together uh, and, and win this ball game. On the flip side, Ohio State, I think this is a, a remember me game. You know, I think a lot of people put them in and buried them after the Oregon loss. I'll be perfectly honest with you. That was kind of the narrative coming out of that week, which is, okay, Kyle State's done. They've lost at home to Oregon, who we all didn't, who most people would say they didn't see that coming. And now Ohio State, you know, is done for the rest of the year. 
Ohio State is well within the, the college playoff, you know, race. And, and you know, right now, as, as Nick alluded to, SB Plus had them as the number, as the best, you know, team in the country. And they've played, you know, outside of really Georgia. They've played like it, you know, in, in the last couple of – and since the Oregon loss, really. So I just like Ohio State a lot here, and it pains me because I'm not that big of an Ohio State fan. But I, I really like Ohio State in this game to kind of just beat the brakes off of Penn State and just show the rest of the country once again on primetime after everybody's what, like, well, Indiana was last week. Indiana wasn't all that good. It's another primetime matchup for them to show the rest of the country. Remember me? I didn't go anywhere. I'm still here. All right. The last game up of the week here is uh, a big, big one. It's the cocktail party. It's in Jacksonville at a neutral site, Georgia against Florida. Georgia is a 14-point favorite. Uh, 51 is the over here. Georgia has not allowed anyone to score more than 13 points this season. They have been one of the most dominant defensive teams I've ever seen in my life. Nick, does Florida have a chance here? They played Bama hard. Yeah. I, I you know, a quick answer to that question, which I don't often give, <laughs> uh, is yes. I think they do have a chance, uh, rivalry games. There's always something. Dan Mullen is as much fire as he has been under for underachieving in, you know, the last calendar year. Uh, the fan base there doesn't seem happy. You know, he has a track record of getting ready for some of these big time games and getting his team ready to play in uh, this type of atmosphere. So I, I certainly think that Florida has a chance. A lot of the, models projection systems out there still think florida is a really really good team um i mention uh brian from a lot I, I really love the stuff that he does and the work he does you know filtering out garbage time and looking at things like points per drive available yards yards per play all of that and his fei ratings are are a very solid uh system uh, set of ratings as well he's got florida seven you know, SP Plus has them in, in the top 10. Uh, our uh, way of doing things is a little bit different because we put a heavier emphasis on, uh, you know, the roster itself. And Florida has a top 10 roster. You know, they've, they've recruited not as well as you might expect Florida to recruit under Dan Mullen, but he's brought in five-star transfers. He's, you know, been able to... to take over a uh, pretty talented roster and kind of keep it going at a top 10 level, uh, they're fifth in our power ratings. So, you know, has Florida played like the fifth best team in the country? Absolutely not. But, you know, they have actually played at a top 10 level, believe it or not, at least the way we calculate it in our team performance ratings. They're eighth in team performance, 14th on the offensive side of the ball, and that's with questions at quarterback who's going to start is it emory jones looked like he lost his grip on that job a few times this year uh but perhaps was able to hold on to it because anthony richardson uh wasn't fully healthy now richardson is looked like he kind of took over toward the second half of the lsu game a couple of weeks ago maybe has a higher ceiling has certainly been one of the most exciting players in college football when he's been on the field but the defense has really let florida down and, you know, despite some pretty, uh, you know, big moments on, on that side of the ball, even then, statistically, they're not a bad defense. They rank 26th 
in our defensive team performance, 26 against the pass, 30th against the run. A lot of those important numbers that I talk about are top 30 ratings, 28th in yards per play allowed, 21st yards per pass, 23rd EPA per play, 19th in points per drive. Success rate is, is uh, much lower. They have allowed a 41.2% success rate, which ranks 52nd. But, you know, they're, they're not a horrible defense by any stretch. They're just not a dominant defense. And, and Georgia has been a dominant defense. You mentioned uh, that, you know, maybe more the more dominant that you've seen. Well, again, Brian Fromo, you know, put some things together and has a, a uh, history on his site that goes back to 2007. And sort of the, the gold standard elite of the elite defense of the modern era is Alabama in 2011. Uh, and Fromo put together something on, on Twitter this week to show that Georgia is on pace to, you know, put up uh, not just better numbers, but by a, by a decent gap, better uh, numbers than Alabama did. Like that whole defense in that year. to the NFL too. I mean, it's just nuts how good they are. Yeah, and and they're not, you know, they're one of the the talking points I saw earlier today is is kind of uh, one they're kind of a no name defense a little bit because they're not a huge just sort of flashy star. The big the big name right now is Jordan Davis, and part of that is because he's just the biggest guy. Uh, but he's played incredibly well. But 6'6", 330. He's you know, getting Heisman of... buzz. I mean, yeah, he's not going to yeah, win because yeah, he he's on, on the defense, <laughs> but he's getting Heisman buzz. Yeah, and, and he's been right now you know, the most impactful player on one of the best defenses we've seen in this era. Uh, but something that's you know going around today is, hey, yeah, it's, it's uh, pretty interesting to see that the biggest name getting the Heisman buzz on this elite defense was a three-star. Right. And Georgia is is uh, known as this biggest challenge to Alabama. They're the only team with a number one uh, ranking in the last five, six years, whatever it is, uh, other than Alabama, maybe 10 years. Uh, and, you know, kind of the guy that's that's uh, been the face or the name of that unit is one of the lower rated. Play- now, he's still really you know, was an 88 and a half rated player by that in the 247 sports composite. There are 125 teams in the country who would love to have somebody with, with, uh, you know, that, that rating coming in, but it, it's just, you know, one of these things, not only are they getting elite talent in, they're able to coach up some of the guys who have maybe more of the measurables physical, you know, wise able to develop those guys into Heisman contenders, first round draft pick type players. And Davis is just kind of the, the main example of that right now. Of course, the biggest thing that we've talked about week in and week out, everybody else has mentioned what's Georgia's quarterback situation going to be. Both teams have kind of unsettled quarterback situations. JT Daniels has been out for a few weeks now. Uh, Stetson Bennett has played quite well. I still am of the opinion that you know, I'm not sure Georgia could win a national championship with Stetson Bennett at quarterback as, as much as he adds, uh, you know, a, a threat of the quarterback run. That is a little bit uh, important. He has played, you know, pretty well. He's put up three production points the way we uh, look through box scores and, and kind of add to player ratings. But he's still just because, you know, he was able to get a, a new 247 rating after he went to junior college. 
but was a former walk-on at Georgia before he went to junior college and, and is an 82-rated player in our individual player ratings, JT Daniels is a 98 because he was a five-star recruit at you know USC. Uh, we don't it, it right now it sounds like Daniels is practicing healthier than he's been in weeks. Uh, I think the last I saw on Tuesday was, you know, second in the line of, of uh, QB drills. So it looks like Bennett might get another start. We have finally put Daniels, uh, you know, his player rating back into the mix as, as a co-starter. If he weren't that, if, if we knew he wasn't going to play, it actually would flip our projection a little bit uh, and would actually make Florida – and all three agree uh, because it would pull our projection down to Georgia uh, only favored by 13. Right now we have them with, with Daniels, um, you know, expected to maybe play. Uh, we have it at, at Georgia favored by 14.07. So that actually, you know, flips us just barely on the side of Georgia. I think I'd rather be on Florida here just because, you know, I, I, even if Daniels plays, it's not, you know, maybe he's not a hundred percent. Maybe we have him overrated. You know, that's partly why I decided to, to slash the two is because their average rating is a 90.25 right now. That seems maybe about right for the Georgia quarterback position. I feel like Bennett might be a little underrated. feel like Daniels might be a little overrated, uh, so I, I decided, hey, we're just gonna we're gonna split the difference, count them as co-starters, and that just barely put uh, Georgia above the fourteen. You know, I, I I think rivalry game like this, I do still respect Dan Mullen as uh, a head coach that can get his team ready to play as an offensive-minded head coach. That will be the toughest challenge to date for uh, this Georgia defense. I think it will be, you know, a low-scoring game, lower than our projections. Again, uh, would indicate our final score prediction is thirty-four twenty. I guess it could bump it up to thirty-five twenty since we're on the Georgia side. Um, that probably would mean somebody scores a, a defensive touchdown, maybe a special teams touchdown to get there. You can't really rely on those uh, in these sorts of things, but we're on Georgia by the very you know slightest of margins. And just depending on how we decide to to put the quarterback situation is the reason why. So, you know, we're on Georgia technically to win if they just survive in advance, I think is the most likely scenario. 24-20 sounds a little better to me than 34-20, quite honestly. Uh, I do think Georgia is rightly favored. I do think Georgia has been arguably the best team in the country this year. They're number one on our team performance ratings, number one in defensive team performance, of course. Uh, top five offense, believe it or not, but haven't necessarily played since the Clemson game, at least, a, a you know top, top-notch level defense. Florida is not quite that top-level defense, so I think they're going to be okay. But, you know, still not an explosive Georgia offense, especially, you know, what is a healthy JT Daniels look like? Does he take this offense to a new level? You know, we, we will see. We might find out this week. We might not. So a lot of uncertainty surrounding this game and numbers that are very, very close to what the uh, point spread is out there. I don't have a huge lean on this, but I, I kind of wish those 0.7 points were the other way. But 
decided to, to, you know, handicap the quarterback situation like we did and just sort of go with what the numbers say. So we're on Georgia 34 or 35 to 20, probably too high scoring. Kind of wish we were on Florida, but I think, I think Georgia does win. I mean, Xavier, I know you're glad you're not on Florida. So tell me why is Georgia going to win this game going away? I mean, I, I just think, well, it's a neutral site first. Scott, well, neutral site is in Jacksonville, Florida, technically speaking. Um, but the reason why I think Georgia wins this game is because I think that it's it they're they're playing with house money, in my personal opinion. I think they're coming into this game understanding that it's Georgia versus Florida. The rankings are thrown out the window for the most part when the, when these games come into play. You know, uh, there's nothing that gets you more excited than a Georgia versus Florida if you're a Georgia player or if you're a Florida player. And what, you know, Nick didn't allude to that people don't remember is that a lot of the defensive players, especially Jordan Davis in particular, didn't play in this game last year. You guys remember before that game happened, uh, there was uh, COVID. They, they had to sideline them. And then uh, Jordan Davis in particular, I believe, was a part of that uh, car accident that sidelined him uh, and a couple of others that were all out of the game, as well as Richard LeCount, who got in a motorcycle accident that week as well, who wasn't in the game either. So. There's a lot of defensive guys who watched that game last year, knowing that they could have made a difference, knowing that they could have made an impact and just weren't there, you know, just were not able to play that game. It was one of the many reasons that Jordan Davis in particular cited coming back this year, which is that he didn't get to play in the Georgia Florida game and he wanted to quote unquote run it back, you know? And so this game, you know, bumped the rankings, bumped the records. These guys are playing for pride at this point. They got beat to sleep last year about Florida, by Florida. It was not a close game. I remember being on this podcast trying to come up with a way for Georgia to win, and both of you guys had a look on your face that was like, give it up, son. So it, it, it was it was really, you know, last year's game was embarrassing for, for, for a lot of reasons. Uh, you know, the, the, the offense ran all over the field, all, all over us. You know, we had, I think, four or five guys on that defense last year who were brand-new starters in that game, and, and I – and I know all Georgia fans just remember Dan Mullen running like three wheel routes. All of them went for scores. So, you know, just, just just simple mistakes in last year's game that cost us it as well. And I think coming into this game, Georgia's going to play with a fire defensively. That's going to be indicative of if they were playing in Alabama in the SEC championship game. They're going to try and kill Florida this year uh, on the defensive end. I would not be surprised if you saw some, some, you know, some personal foul penalties in this game early on because it's going to be one of those kind of games where they're going to try to embarrass them, especially on the defensive end. On the offensive end, Nick hit it right on the head. We don't know who the quarterback is going to be coming into this week, but I don't think it matters. I think Stetson Bennett actually gives us a better chance of winning in this kind of environment, uh, giving us an opportunity, get, having a, a more running quarterback on a team that has struggled to keep quarterbacks in the pocket this year and really get pressure off in the middle, which allows for a lot more running lanes. If they're getting pressure off the edge allows for a guy like Stetson Bennett to just take off, just, just go, just get what you can get. And we have a defense like the one that we have right now at Georgia. You're really just expecting a guy to come in and that's necessarily take too many chances, not take too many, you know, big throws, but if he can convert a third and six with his legs, that is exactly what you want because it just gets that defense more excited. It just keeps that defense, it gets keeps gets that defense healthy, you know, or uh, rest on the sideline as well. And the, in these drives that are going to be, you know, under Stetson Bennett, the drives are just longer. You know, the results are still the same pretty much. I don't think JT Daniels would have done much different against Arkansas or even against Kentucky uh, when you look at the numbers. Maybe a little bit more passing yards. But the, the the drives are just a little bit different. Maybe, you know, you, you see Georgia open up the playbook passing-wise for JT Daniels a little bit more. But 
well, I'll take 13 play drives and keep that Florida offense off the field and then let, let the pass rush go when they can pin their ears back up 14 nothing. Yeah, I, I'm fine with that. You know, as a po, you know, and, and on the other on the tail end with JT Daniels, I'm also cool with seven play drives where we see him throw it around to, you know, Bowers and McConkey and, you know, Jermaine Burton, who should be back this week as well. So, you know, the, I think Georgia is going to use this game as another one. Of, you know, it's one of those situations where Georgia, luckily for them over the last couple of weeks, all of these quote-unquote trap games that I really thought could be trap games for them have all ended up turning into ranked matchups. And then the only lone non-ranked matchup you have is against Florida. That's, I think, all Georgia fans would have been like, okay, that's fine, because we can still get up for Georgia or get up for Florida. I mean, it's a little bit harder to get up for an unranked Arkansas or, you know, an, an unranked Kentucky. It's easy to get up for an unranked Florida team. And so I don't see any drop-off happening this week. Um, I think Kirby goes with Stetson going into this week. I think he gives JT maybe one more week. Uh, of uh, just being able to watch the game from the sideline before he gets to ramp him up through the back end of the year before the playoff starts. Because I think you're right, Nick. I don't think Stetson can win us a championship, but you know what? He's going to give JT Daniels four weeks in which he plays absolutely nobody. I mean, we play like nobody. We play Missouri and some other just, you know, and some other downright just doggish teams down the stretch. Georgia Tech and company. Yeah, I took a shot at Georgia Tech. Uh, and he's going to let JT Daniels use that those last four weeks to ramp up and get ready for the SEC championship game where we're going to need him in, in a quarterback duel against Bryce Young, possibly Bryce Young, or Matt Corral, and then in the playoff where we'll probably see an Ohio State against a C.J. Stroud and company where we might need some more offense and some more big playability from our quarterback position. Uh, former Heisman Trophy winner just traded, by the way. Uh, Mark Ingram just got traded to New Orleans. To the Saints. So, mm -hmm. uh, while we're while we're recording this, so interesting. By the way, you guys should have seen Nick's face when Xavier said uh, "doggish teams" in reference to Georgia Tech, which is uh, one of Nick's uh, darlings here, of course. But uh, Nick, why don't you tell us about the wrong team favorites and the all three agree? All right, so we talked uh, at length earlier that the wrong team favor has actually been our, our best uh, spot so far this year. I have zero confidence in any of these, so take that for what it's worth. <laughs> Illinois plus one and a half, North Texas plus two and a half, Wyoming plus three, Colorado State plus two and a half against Boise State. We actually have Colorado State favored. Uh, and Washington, same thing, uh, plus two and a half against Stanford. I have zero confidence in any of those. I would love it if we go three and two uh, on those and, and keep a, a decent number moving forward, but do with that what you will. I have a little, little more confidence, I guess, in some of these all three agrees, although, again, it's been really bad for us so far, so maybe you want to fade these. Tulsa minus 11 against Navy. That seems like a sucker side to be on because I think Navy – could keep it to within single digits against the Navy's New York Giants. Been pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they, you know, they, they just, the way they play. And we talked about it going into the Cincinnati game. It played out that way. Uh, they certainly can get blown out. Navy is not talented, but they've made some improvements in recent weeks. So I feel like we're on the, the sucker side of things there, but we do have Tulsa uh, to, to cover by 11 or more in all three of our projections. Same for Texas, plus two and a half. Uh, we've had Texas a, a few times in this scenario, and it hasn't worked out great for us yet. Indiana, plus six. We talked about Vanderbilt, plus 16. We've been, I think, a, you know, Vanderbilt's still 114th in our power ratings, but we're we're too high, I guess, on Vanderbilt because this is the third or fourth time we've been on them as an all-three agree. Hawaii, plus five and a half. I feel better. I, I kind of like that one. 
Southern Miss plus 13 and a half against Louisiana Tech. Boston College plus six. Northwestern plus seven and a half. Might be the my my favorite of the week. I actually have maybe a, an opinion on a potential best bet. Uh, so it's sure to be wrong. Northwestern plus seven and a half against Minnesota. Uh, ULM plus seven and, uh, excuse me, plus 27 and a half against App State. Maybe it's a little bit of a hangover effect after their big win last week. Uh, Charlotte plus 18. Charlotte has not been good to us in these uh, situations. Wyoming plus three on paper should be our bet of the week, lock of the century of the week. Uh, since it's a wrong team favorite in and all three agree. So I hate it. Uh, against San Jose state, uh, USC minus 21 seems like a complete sucker side to be on even against Arizona. Uh, but you cannot trust USC same can't, can't trust Penn state plus 18 and a half San Diego state minus one. Sure. I, you know, uh, seems like they are kind of the Iowa, of the Mountain West or, or G5, so maybe they'll get exposed at some point. Uh, but we're, we're on them to, to win in all three uh, this week. And then Washington as well. Same scenario as, as Wyoming. I feel like we might be on the wrong. So maybe I don't feel any better about these. Uh, maybe just one or two. I like the Northwestern. I like Hawaii. And I kind of like ULM plus 27 and a half, but certainly could get away from them against App State. So we'll see. Hopefully uh, we'll we'll get lucky in some spots and and uh, put a, a decent number up after a potentially uh, record worst performance last week. But confidence is a, is a little low. We'll we'll trust the process and and just continue to you know put out what what the numbers say. But uh, fair warning to all who may be listening that that uh, these have not been good recently. Well, look, uh, you know, the, the, the numbers are the numbers you went through them before and still very good. Overall. And I feel, I feel good about our power ratings. I feel good about how team performance shakes out. I, I like our roster strength numbers. It just, I don't know what it is. Some unexpected results. Some just don't quite seem to match up timing wise or venue wise or what. I don't know. We'll see. Xavier just pointed out, and before we go, I just want to uh, get this because I know we're running real long on this show, but uh, Emery Jones just named the starter for Florida. Nick, does that change anything for you? He, The way we calculate it, no. He and Anthony Richardson have a very, very close uh, rating. Emory Jones actually is two points higher, and that's because I gave – I closed the gap because I gave Anthony Richardson five additional production points just based on eye test. Uh, it does change it actually. So uh, I, I, I'll maybe send a note out on, on Patreon. This would put us in Florida. All three agree uh, because now George is favored by 13.96. Okay. So I actually personally think that Anthony Richardson uh, I'm actually going to put it back to where I slash them both, so it won't change it because I think okay. Richardson will yeah. play. They'll they'll both play. They'll both play. But but yes, technically, if Emory Jones, because he just has a slightly higher rating, and I don't necessarily agree with that uh, personally, it's just sort of the way we calculate things. It would change it slightly, yeah. And obviously, changes nothing for. Xavier, right? No, it doesn't change anything. I think it makes him more confident based on right. It makes him even more confident. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Not a surprise at all for Xavier. <laughs> but that is going to wrap it up for us today. Remember, you can follow us all on the Twitter 
at Bogman Sports for me, at CFB Winning Edge for Nick, and at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E for Xavier. We will see you guys next week. Good luck, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.